It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Caroline Haskins is here from Motherboard. Mike Elgin has settled down from his trip around the world to this chair right here next to me. We're going to talk about the biggest fine in FTC history, Instagram versus the bullies. And Caroline will talk about what she's learned about a technology local cities are using to spy on you and me. It's all coming up next on Twit. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit, This Week in Tech. Episode 727, recorded Sunday, July 14th, 2019. Artisanal pickles from Williamsburg. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Worldwide Technology. Worldwide Technologies advanced technology centers like no other testing and research lab with more than half a billion dollars of equipment, including OEMs like NetApp. And it's virtual, so you can access it 24-7. To learn more and get insights into all it offers, go to www.t.com slash twit. And by Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything's online. To get your new wireless plan for $15 a month and get the plan shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com slash twit. And by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage. Thinking about moving your data storage to the cloud? Wasabi is enterprise-class cloud storage at one-fifth the price of Amazon S3 and up to six times faster with no hidden fees for egress or API requests. Calculate your savings and try Wasabi with free unlimited storage for a month at wasabi.com. Code TWIT. And by ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple and smart. That place is ZipRecruiter, where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. Try it free at ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news. And look who's here in studio. Mike Elgin is joining us. He is off the road in town, and whenever Mike's in town... We'd like to get you in the studio. Thank you, Theo. It's great to be in town. He's a gastronomad. In fact, gastronomad.net. What was your most, was Barcelona your most recent event? Barcelona is the next one. Oh, it's so coming. We still have some space open for this one. That's what this post is Cava about. Barcelona. So what we do is, uh, everybody loves Barcelona, but a lot of people don't know about the nearby Cava wine country. No. So we stay there for <gasps> five nights, six days. Oh. And we explore, go wine tasting, we make cheese, we do all this kind of stuff, we bake bread, but we take a couple of surgical strikes into the city of Barcelona. Mm. And it's just the most fantastic thing in the world. It truly is. food in Catalonia is incredible. We know exactly where the most authentic and best tapas places are, where just like the best uh, baker in Spain, that woman there, she gives us an exclusive... The best baker in Spain? uh, Two years ago, she was named the best baker in wow. Spain, wow. and she is amazing. But she's a good friend. We go and and we explore. If you go down, this is a good one. See this one right here. This There's is, the cave. They, so this is cava. They store it in 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 cava's a sparkling one, like sparkling champagne. One. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like prosecco, champagne, something yeah. like that. But this guy stores it in a bomb shelter <laughs> from the Spanish Civil War. Wow. And it's in the middle of a vineyard. I can't tell you where it is, or he'll 
Generalist of the Roma Francisco Franco is buried there. But it's a fascinating region and the culture of Catalonian food, which people don't quite get. When you go to Barcelona on vacation, don't quite get to it. What fun. But we go straight to it. Oh, so. I could spend years in Barcelona and you'd never yeah. plumb the depths yeah, of it. Absolutely. Absolutely true. We also want to welcome a brand new uh, member to our team. I'm really pleased to welcome from Motherboard, the vice uh, publication, Caroline Haskins. Hi, Caroline. Hi. Great to have me. you. Welcome. Don't be intimidated. This is going to be a lot of fun. We are going to start. <laughs> Mike's shaking his head. <laughs> no. He says, it's just <laughs> not fun. Poor thing. We're going to start uh, today with Facebook. The largest fine in the history of the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, the FTC had a consent decree with, with Facebook in 2011 that they would not do whatever it is Facebook does. Uh, they did it, apparently, uh, when they when some of our, our data went to Cambridge Analytica. So the FTC got together, voted three to two. Interestingly, it was the Republicans that voted for the fine, the Democrats that voted against the fine. The largest fine in the history of the FTC, $5 billion. That sounds like a lot of money, right? Sounds like a Dr. Evil. Except Facebook's... Stock price went up after the fine $6 billion. <laughs> so Mark Zuckerberg is smiling because he made money. He made money. Uh, I guess be Facebook was smart. They had said in their annual, in their uh, quarterly report that they expected this $5 billion They budgeted fine. it. They budgeted it. <laughs> and so they prepared the market, right? And then when the fine actually was $5 billion, as usual, yeah. you, you sell on the rumor, you buy on the news, or you buy on the news and you sell on the rumor. I can't remember, but whatever. It was good news. Everybody laments the political division in society, but both Republicans and Democrats can get behind crushing Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, that Something is a nonpartisan issue. As yeah. Americans. So, Caroline, is $5 billion uh, a slap on? That sounds like a lot of money. Is it a slap on the wrist? It kind of seems like a, yeah, a drop in the bucket. I don't know. I remember a couple of months ago, there were a couple of other figures that were being thrown around, and it seemed like they were potentially going to be hit with a lot more money, but it really doesn't seem like this is going to have an impact on them at all. Kara personally. Swisher said you really uh, want to find them, add a zero to the five, <laughs> make it $50 billion. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren said Facebook made $5 billion in profits in the first three months of the year. Actually, that's not true. I think it was uh, revenue, not profits. The company's too big to oversee, and this drop in the bucket penalty confirms that. It is true that, I mean, look, at anything with a B is, is a lot of money for any company, but it isn't, you know, Facebook had $15 billion in revenue. Oh, I'm sorry, it is $15 billion in revenue last quarter, $22 billion in profit. So it was, it yeah. was one quarter profit. Um, you could see the stock jump there. Mike Isaac uh, said <laughs> the real story is that Facebook shares surged <laughs> with that fine. So clearly the market's saying, yeah, slap on the wrist. Yeah. What do we, what do we, you're not on Facebook. In fact, I used you as an example, Mike Elgin, because you have Mike's yes. nice book. Yes. So what I did was last year I said I was getting off 4th of July. And I, I spent the whole, all these months this year harassing and, and criticizing Facebook. Of course, it did no good at all because they were censoring my posts, clearly. Um, but I replaced it with a Google folder I call my nice book. And you can go. It's a public can, folder, so public anybody folder. can anybody follow can it just there. as they would on Facebook. Yes. So if you search for Mike Elgin Nicebook, you'll find links to it, and I invite you all. But this is my personal. This is my family. So it's travel. really it's the kind of pictures you would have put exactly. on Facebook. Exactly. Is there text though, or is it just pictures? There's text. You can you can do posts. Where you do you put like your things. dank memes? Can you put them up there too? <laughs> no, you cannot. So each person's. 
This is the beauty of it. This is how a social network should work. Only I can post in my nice book and I can follow your nice book and then I see it in the stream. So if you're on Google Photos and you go to sharing, which nobody ever does, it's the, it's the, it's the tab on the far right. Yeah. You get all the stuff that's been shared with you, all the, you know, and it's, it's kind of like a social network. So I, th- I think Google could turn I, it into I a follow your uh, nice book. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Yeah. So I could make one of these. What, what, what If I wanted to make one, I would just set up a, a sharing and say share, it's public? Yes. And it's kind of, I believe that's the default, actually, that, that it's public. And then you just share the link Okay. Uh, with family and friends by email. People can choose their own notifications. So some people get it on their phone. Some people get an email. Some people don't get the notifications. They just see it in Google Photos when they go. But it's beautiful. These photos are full quality. If you click on these photos, they're full quality. Much better than Facebook, yeah, much which squishes Facebook. them. And you can, you can add little uh, you know, comments. You can like things. And it's, an, it's a stream without ads. Without. That's Mike's uh, wife, by the way, Amira, who's so beautiful, sitting in a restaurant that apparently has parking meters called the Naughty Pig. That's on Sunset Boulevard <laughs> oh, okay. two nights ago. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a wonderful alternative because really what we want to do on, on Facebook is we want to see a stream of, of our people we care about and the photos. Because yeah, I say get all the time. I say get off Facebook. I'm off yeah. Facebook. Caroline, do you, you, you have to. It's an occupational hazard. Be on all the networks probably. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it would be sort of irresponsible for me to like not even know what's going on. Do you on kind Facebook? of wish you couldn't, you could like get rid of Instagram and I Facebook? Wish I, and- <laughs> I wish I could. It would be nice. The strange thing is that a lot of my peers still use Facebook for event invitations. And I've noticed people a little bit more recently using different types of forums, but it almost seems like for a lot of people, at least in my immediate social circle, that Facebook is still a way to guarantee that someone is going to be able to see something. But I don't know. I want to go back to the days of like personal websites. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> like know, this early 2000s. Yeah. Like I'm sorry to, to, to step on your, uh, your comment there, Caroline, but, um, this is what I hear. I'm talking to lots and lots of people all over the world, Leo, because in Europe, but you have a blog, I have a blog, but I know lots of people in Europe who use one, two or three social things. And those things are always Facebook properties. So I know people who do WhatsApp. Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp, and or they Instagram, just do Instagram and Facebook. WhatsApp. Oh, and it's, and that one, was one of the hardships for me is when I got rid of Facebook, I felt like, well, I should also get rid of fa- Instagram. I didn't really use WhatsApp, but I should also, I should get through of all three. If I have any one of them on my phone, I've given Facebook an entree into my life. Absolutely. And this I, is the interesting thing about WhatsApp. Americans don't use WhatsApp much, right. but everybody else, it's Well, the and that's what thing. I hear when I say get off Facebook. What I universally hear is that's a, that's. A privileged point of view. I can't get off. This Facebook, is the problem with Facebook. We're we're on the brink. Where we everybody I've talked to some countries, it's the it. internet. Well, exactly. And some people, some lots and lots of people say, I don't use the internet. I use Facebook. Right. And and so it's AOL for the 21st century. And w- the scheme that Mark Zuckerberg is hatching as we sit here is he's trying to turn it into WeChat. So in China, WeChat is right. everything. It's an e-commerce platform. That's why LibraCoin. That's yes. why he's got a currency because exactly. he wants this to be, everything goes through Facebook. And so we're already like, everybody I talk to says, oh, I'm not going to get off Facebook because I need it for this reason or that reason. Caroline has her reasons. Everybody has a reason why you, they need Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp. And this is a problem. We shouldn't Caroline, need. I, thought, I had heard that younger people thought, maybe, maybe you're not as young as you look, but younger people said Facebook is like your parents' social network. And there and people under uh, 30, say, are, are Snapchat or TikTok. There are other places. 
Right, right. Yeah, I think there's definitely still that reputation. Um, you, but in college, did you use Facebook? You, my my daughter is 27, still is on Facebook because that's how she stays in touch with her college friends. I did. Yeah, I mean, Facebook was used in terms of like finding college roommates freshman year. Yeah, um, doing introductions, and that's sort of pivoted onto Instagram, which is you know again still a Facebook property. So it seems like you're still sort of relying on this biggest common denominator. Um, like there's this assumption that you have an account on at least one it's, Facebook. It's the it, it is really the reason uh, Facebook is an incumbent and it will be hard to unseat is so-called network effect you have to be where everybody is there's no point i mean i'm on mastodon um, i'm on elo but there's no point because yeah it's me and a couple other people but but there, there's there's a, i don't even know them and we're looking at each other going hmm. but but this is true but the, here's the problem so the only social network that's bigger than Facebook is email, which is about three or four times the size of Facebook. And you're a big but proponent nobody, of mail newsletters. Big, but the problem is people have lost control of their inboxes. Oh, yeah. And they're afraid of it. Oh, yeah. And they don't want to go control. there. Yeah. And so, but, but if people could just get a handle on their email inboxes, email would be the ultimate social network. Because you could be on in Macedon and use email-based notifications, and it'd be like everybody's on the same social right. network. But people are reticent to well, use email. Well, I often email. say that. If you want to stay in touch with your college friends or your or your grandparents email would work right but, but i guess it's not that there's not that but it's it's email should be a delivery mechanism for the notification it feels like it's a one-on-one conversation email it doesn't does. feel like that stream like you're, yeah, you're yeah. tapping into I what's be happening in, wait into the pool of the zeitgeist and this is how the social networks get us they they've tapped into our psychology and makes us feel like we've got our finger on the pulse Whereas email feels like your finger is not on the pulse, right? Uh, and so it's the it's all these feel you know feel based emotion based tricks that they use. The little red thing with a number in it, people have to click on that. So Caroline, happening. should it have been, it would would it, uh, does the does the FTC have any solution? If it had been five hundred billion, would have that have mattered? It doesn't. It feels like the FTC is is helpless in the face of this. Right. It's hard to say. I mean, without. I mean, a fine is one thing, but I mean, regulations that are going to be preventing something like in a Cambridge Analytical situation from happening again would be, I mean, more ideal. And I mean, that doesn't look like, I mean, I know that legislation is on the way in California, but it doesn't seem like the regulations we need are on the way any anytime soon. So well, it's hard to say whether a fine would be like 100% the answer here. And, and a lot of times when we talk about regulation, there's always this issue of unintended consequences. Casey Newton has a great article this week on The Verge talking about the ugly side of Facebook's pivot to privacy. So Facebook's solution was this Mark Zuckerberg post saying, oh, okay, no problem. Everything will be end-to-end encrypted private. But as Casey points out, now what you have is private groups like that horrific Border Patrol group that ProPublica found last week. It's private. It's, you know, they had to dig to find it. Le Monde found in France a group of 56,000 people devoted largely to making anti-female comments. A French group. A Twitter user stumbled across a Facebook TV ad investigated one of the featured groups and found a, a who stumbled across a fa Facebook TV ad. Oh, he found it, and he posted some of the ugly posts. Large private 
this is Elizabeth Dwoskin writing in the Washington Post. Large private groups remain unmoderated black boxes where users could freely threaten vulnerable populations. Actually, she's quoting Jonathan Greenblatt, who's with the Anti-Defamation League. Without any AI or human moderators, it's easy to orchestrate harassment campaigns. It becomes 4chan or 8chan. Mm -hmm. it, becomes, it becomes a secret place for, for evilness. So that's not a solution either. I, I'm less, I mean, this is going to sound horrible, but I'm less bothered by this sort of thing because... In private, you don't mind? Well, it's not that I don't mind. I mind that people are uh, evil, uh, bothers me, but they're going. They're going. To but at be. least they're not in my face. I mean, it's, evil. It's, well, I mean, if it's to me, this is more akin to just having a an evil conversation in your living room or whatever. Yeah, um, that's going to happen. What bothers right, no me what. is the viral mechanisms of using algorithms to like bring in lots of people and, and sort of change their minds about. See, things. I thought I always thought maybe this was naive of me, but that uh, uh, light was a disinfectant that you lift up the rock and you let the world see this, and the world will will rear back in revulsion and say no this will not stand we don't want nazis but what has in fact happened is the nazis have taken over twitter it's not, it's not the there's no revulsion but, but well the unfortunate thing is Carsten Bondi my producer uh, the unfortunate thing is that yahoo's alg or uh, youtube's algorithms sees revulsion as excitement that's positive that's right. engagement as i don't engagement. care if you're disgusted it's engagement it, it's uh, who, who is it that said that it's like people slow down to look at a car accident, and so the internet responds by producing more, more car, car accidents. More car accidents, yeah. Um, this, is this, being sl this is the slavish following of the algorithm is a bad thing. I would, I've often said that the real problem with YouTube is the recommendation mm -hmm. engine, the algorithm. Clearly the problem with Facebook is the algorithm mm -hmm. that drives the news feed. Because absent any human oversight, these are optimized for engagement yeah. because that's more revenue, and that's where you get these horrible vicious circles that promote offensive behavior and to me the elephant in the living room and that's not a gop pun by the way the elephant in the living room is um is is uh which i don't think he's exploring here enough is that you talked about the disinfectant quality of light what what zuckerberg has proposed for his big privacy pivot which is complete bs is to unite all of his uh, uh, all of his messaging platforms and have end-to-end -end encryption, so nobody can see inside that black box. Yeah. And then, and, and the other part of it is they all, the solution to bullying and hate speech and all that stuff are algorithms that work behind the scenes that nobody can see how they work or what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. So we're entering into an era where all this stuff, where the conversations are happening beyond anyone's uh, ability to see it. And also where the solution, the algorithms are happening behind the scenes with nobody's ability to see it. This is kind of like a golden age of journalists can go and f expose these things and write articles like Casey Newton's article. That's not going to happen. We're on the brink of him not Pro having Publica any access to public won't be able stuff. to find these, exactly. these secret. Poor Caroline. You didn't know you were going on the grumpy old men complain about the You Kids Today show. You kids. <laughs> no, please. In my day, I mean, we didn't do this because we didn't have any of it. I just think it's strange that this whole pivot to groups and like emphasizing groups on Facebook has been presented as this solution both to like hate speech and fake news and for making Facebook just a place to want for, that people want to go. I mean, anecdotally, it seems pretty clear that Facebook groups is one of the only reasons that people would go on Facebook for pleasure. But in terms of well, that's Facebook, interesting. Yeah, yeah. In terms of like. I don't know, mean groups or like the rise of certain Facebook groups where it's like Facebook group where we all pretend to be X. Like, yeah. for instance, a really 
popular one is uh, a group where we all pretend to be boomers um, and everybody <laughs> makes fun of the way that their their parents. Tell me you're not in that group. I joined for journalistic purposes. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I think it's we funny. boomers should invade Area 51. Oh, no, that's another one. Uh, sorry. Yeah, that's uh, an event. <laughs> that's, a event. <laughs> that's a big event. Oh, that's interesting. See, uh, this is where I am at a disadvantage. So Facebook has kind of pivoted from the, what it, its original promise was. You you follow the news feed and feed, see what your friends and family are up to, to finding affinity groups. And we know affinity groups are the worst thing in the world because really what happens is uh, whatever, you know, it's a mob mentality. Whatever that uh, prime factor for that affinity yeah. group is becomes amplified. Um it's Depends. I mean, they say that um, certain types of flagged posts or fake news will be deprioritized, even in private Facebook groups, um, which I mean, I think personally, at least in some cases, I mean, not in the case of like outright hate speech, but um, in terms of certain gray areas, it might be a better solution than just pulling the stuff off the Internet entirely and just having really no grasp on how different communities are spreading different kinds of information. But, you know, at the same time, pretending that Facebook groups is going to be like solving all of Facebook problems. Well, I mean, your feed is going to still be including a lot of the same type of content. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just going to be like uh, a category specific news feed with a couple of specific people. Um, and I mean, when you open Facebook right now, I mean, almost every time I open it, um, it'll say right at the top, um, this many of your friends have joined Facebook groups and wow. uh, find new Facebook groups. Um, it's so funny because Google Plus in its last dying days did the same pivot, mm -hmm. didn't save it. But they said, join a community, join yeah. a community. So there must be mm -hmm. some research that says, oh, yeah, people are happiest when they're in a community. Yeah. And people well, that's do terrible, though, because the communities are horrific. I my biggest my biggest or awesome yeah thank you Karsten my biggest what's what Karsten what groups are you in um, I I also am a Facebook refugee but um, oh okay he's one of those guys who pretends <laughs> to be a boomer <laughs> there are there's definitely something to be said for affinity groups where people can find people like them. Uh, well, yeah, in a way, that's what geeks did in the very beginning. That's what we did. We found each other. Uh, you know, I, I keep thinking that the platforms can't solve this. It's not going to be, and government can't solve it. I, I, I just, only humans I'm, can solve it, but humans, right. we're so flawed. Yeah. I don't know if there's a solution there either. I feel like it's, I'm starting to despair. But we, we have to be clear about what the problem is. And I, it's why it bothers me that, you know, that somebody is saying something mean on the internet somewhere is not the problem, right? If people should have to, be able to have private groups no matter what they say to each other in those groups. Um, private conversations, people should be able to say on the telephone, for example. You shouldn't have algorithms nobody, going and listening to conversations and say, should, oh, you shouldn't talk about yeah. that. And that's historically the case. Right. That's what Section 230 of the uh, 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 Internet, whatever it's called, yeah. decency collaboration. What is right. it called? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. I mean, the Communications Decency Act of 20... Yes. 1996, 19, I think. Yeah. Uh, Section 230 said that just like the phone system, you can't expect platforms, online services to police content. They're just conveyors yes. of content. And and it, so it does. By the way, people want to. President Trump wants to get rid of uh, Section 230. There's a move afoot to do that. Um, so that may be actually under 
assault anyway. But I don't know if that protects it either. I don't know what the solution is. I really don't. I, I really think we need to focus on algorithms and and amplification. That's what Facebook says. Algorithms and and, and not no, but focus on the problem with algorithms. Oh, and, and and not the focus on private little groups where nasty little people talk to each other. Let about them all these let them do their things and, in private. You know, they they try to make it seem like a bigger problem by saying, oh, they could be pl- plotting and planning all well, this. Well, they stuff. could be. Well, yes, you know that's gonna that stuff is gonna happen. And when they break the law, they need to go to prison. Right. When they break the law in real life, but but whatever happened to free speech we should have a place for free speech what we shouldn't have is a place where it amplifies where it amplifies by profiting yeah, yeah, yeah. and so jason calacanis of all people uh, proposed a new social network which he described as a simple feed with no algorithmic filtering one ad on the top of the page you can pay 50 dollars a month to get rid of the ad and it's just you you get everything that the people you follow post in reverse chronological order end of story it's kind of what facebook was supposed to be in the beginning exactly but there's no money in that Right. I mean, you can't be wildly you can't end up being the most powerful person in the world and one of the richest. There has to be somewhere in between no money and twenty two billion dollars a year. There has to be some mid ground where you make you make a decent living. It's a good service. People use it. It's called Macedon. Yeah. The the problem. I mean, I I don't give a crap if Mark Zuckerberg is rich. I, I really don't care if he makes a lot of money. What I care about is that people can have conversations. We have free speech, but we also have... And we know, don't amplify... We're not amplifying... The negative We're not creating rabbit holes and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. So th- that's where the problem is. It's not these little private groups, I don't think. And then there was this week's social media summit at the White House, <laughs> where the president said to a bunch of uh, kind of conspiracy theory uh, social media folks... The crap you guys think of is unbelievable. It is. <laughs> it is. Even though it's uh, often believed. I guess the, they did not invite Facebook or Jack Dorsey from Twitter or anybody who was actually from one of the platforms to this, quote, social media summit. It was really just a bunch of... It was mostly right-wing... Right-wing type. pundits. They had to pull a few at the they last did, minute because uh, they found all kinds of anti-Semitic and racist stuff. And, and, and of course, Josh Hawley has proposed legislation... That would eliminate Section 230, um, treat every political opinion equally because of this. I don't think there's any evidence for, but there's a, a belief that's in the conservative circles that somehow Twitter and Facebook, can, you know, are, are biased against conservatives. I don't I don't see any evidence of that. But the 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 evidence is uh, I mean, you, this is a, this is actually one of the problems you don't have insight into how they why they make the decisions they make so for example let's say there's some well it is invisible isn't let, it the algorithms let's say there's are an invisible. alt-right person who posts an alt-right type post and then gets banned and then all of his followers members like ah you see it's, it's conservative bias but what they don't know is that twitter might tell you yeah but they were also had this other account they had these five other accounts where they were orchestrating bots and doing all this other stuff and the com- combined effect of all those things were why we banned and and but again we have to take their word for it because Algorithms are, are company secrets. They don't have to reveal them, and they won't. So they're, you know, the Facebooks and the Twitters are really on the spot. They're the, essentially the police and the judge and the jury and the everything. So it, that's, Trump's, that's Trump's said evidence that there's a bias against him is because in the old days, he would tweet that uh, the Obama campaign was spying on him, and it would, in his words, take off like a rocket, and now it doesn't so much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's your evidence? Yeah. And, I, you know, he's got how many tens of millions of followers? I think... He, it's pretty clear Twitter is not blocking followers. Um, the president has narcissistic personality disorder. If Georgia were here, she could diagnose it for us. Yeah. But um, but the pro- this whole summit seemed to be a place for him to vent and say it's about that him. The fact yeah. that I don't have more followers than Obama yeah, is should have more the reason followers. why yeah. 
there's something has to change and we're going to do something. And he was threatening. You know what? I should have more followers. Uh, So should I. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. Caroline. And then tweets were printed on poster boards. <laughs> so, I so mean, <laughs> and, and aside, yeah, that shows you, right? That's it right there. That's things yeah. boomers do. Print out <laughs> tweets and put them on a poster board. That, that's what they do in the group that she's in. Um, <laughs> so, so, so Instagram used to be kind of the refuge. You would go to Instagram. Oh, it's nice. It's pictures. It's nice. And now Instagram is just as corrupt so nice. and messed up. Uh, Caroline, you've written about this. It's just as bad on Instagram, right? I haven't been in a while, so is it? Yeah, they've they've had a problem with a rise of like certain types of like extremist hate accounts um, with QAnon accounts, with anti-vaxxer accounts, and Instagram's been taking some steps to design infrastructure that blocks certain hashtags, like in the same way that if you search, uh, say, for things like pro-anorexia those hashtags are blocked. And so they're working on doing the same kind of thing for for anti-vaccinations and those types of ideologies. But I mean, the last time I checked, that feature hadn't rolled out. But I mean, yeah, it's it's just strange that you... There was a period when I went on Facebook and, you know, you search for anti-vaxxer content and there were... I mean, there were no results. Like, like the groups seemed to have been banned. But then, when you went on Instagram, all of those accounts were still up. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I don't know. In terms of the social media summit, I think one important thing to keep in mind is that he also invited. Um, I think it was the CEO or whoever founded that that social network network Minds M I N D S, um, which for at, at least a certain period of time was a like a favored group among. I mean. It was Nazis. like it was like Gab. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I think it speaks volumes. It goes. I think it goes beyond Trump being angry about himself and trying to send a political message by. I mean, obviously, the types of people that he invited to that. You have to. He has to see. Uh, these they know social networks as very powerful for the 2020 election as mm-hmm. places that they can use. I mean, he yeah. does. He uses Twitter very effectively yeah and they have to see these as the place where the campaign is going to play out next year right that's 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 well, where it's going to matter the truth is that, that scares me everybody, the hell out of me, everybody talks about how twitter is so influential in shaping public opinion all this kind of stuff and it just isn't true what happens is the media picks up on twitter but that's the respect it's true is that yeah, Twitter's only a couple hundred million people. It's not a big deal. But the media treats the media. it as if it's the most important thing in the world. And if anything happens on Twitter, suddenly that's a story. To be clear, on the editorial choices are what make uh-huh. everything that happens on Twitter uh, such a big deal. Yeah. If, if the media completely ignored what happened on Twitter, they would have no effect. I mean, have really have you seen this yet on Caroline on, uh, on Instagram where if you put comments in that are I guess bullying that it will that it will say. Wait a minute, do you really want? Right? Do you want to say yeah. that? Let's keep Instagram yeah, a supportive yeah. place. Rethink that comment. It's, it's really interesting because I went to I went to a, a meeting with Instagram uh, a couple months ago when they were talking about the things that they were doing to try and combat bullying, and I think a large part of the difficulty in moderating moderating that type of thing is. I mean, A, defining bullying and B, figuring out a way to do that that isn't just – that isn't preemptive. I mean – They don't want to censor it. it they just want to – kind of, 
Right. I mean, even in the example that they used, um, I think they said like, oh, if you're using the words, I mean, it's clear that like the words I like ugly and stupid triggered that sort right. of pop up to say, oh, do you want to say that? But is that really the ways that are those really the mechanisms that people use to like make others feel excluded? They were talking about also like induced FOMO, which is <laughs> it's it's difficult to define. It's basically where the basically example what Instagram that they gave is. Instagram is right. made of FOMO. <laughs> it's made out of FOMO. That's, that's the problem. Like it, like the whole idea is that if you post something at a certain place and a person may not have been invited, and you say you at the person and you say, "Oh, don't you wish you were here?" Do people actually? do that i think that was the that's uh, that was one of the main questions that i had coming out of that but don't you think they do haven't you ever seen stuff like that i'll tell you where i see it every time i go to a concert every time i go to a concert now most of the selfie taking is the person turned away from the artist videoing the artist singing Mm -hmm. and them in the picture and what's the whole point of doing that to show all your friends what a great time how good your life is Mm -hmm. I'm at the concert. If you, if it used to be you'd you'd video the singer, right? Because, oh, you love this singer. You're going to like the video. Now it's look at me at the concert. That's, that's FOMO. That's induced FOMO. Right. So they clearly were trying to make it seem as if that sort of thing is malicious. Oh, Um, it's not malicious. It's just neurotic. It's just, it's just narcissistic. (laughs) I'm hesitant almost to judge people that want to like document those types yeah, of experience. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, if you want to, if you want to share that, if that's what, if that's what makes you feel good, if okay. you want to make right. sure you capture something that yeah. made you happy, I'm, I'm hesitant to be like, oh, that's bad. But when you, when you're trying to define what actually is bad and what is harmful, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a lot of the. I mean, the social ways in which people try and exclude and alienate and make other people feel bad. I mean, that's not something that an algorithm can easily pick no, up. No, it's and subtle. It is, right. And this is only rolling out on the English speaking part of Instagram. So, I mean, this is only going to be affecting like a marginal part of their audience anyway. Surely so. we're talking about children though, right? I mean, adults don't like... So one of the problems they, they, they have is that, that they talked about how some bullying victims, if they block somebody, it's like a big problem because they, they, they're they with the bully every day. In other words, they go to school with the bully. And so this right. even blocking and the mechanisms that exist for people to to protect themselves don't work because of the of the fact that people are, you know, in real con, uh, communication. That sounds to me like high school or junior high or something yeah. like that. I mean, it's. It, um, right. I'm, I have to say, when I when I was posting stuff on Instagram, I would tr- I would actually consciously not try to show off on Instagram because it felt like it was about like, look yeah. how great my life is, and I was concerned. It, it, you know that when you're looking at these people's lives, that's not that's just the slice that makes it look good. Oh yeah, everybody's life has equal amounts of. F- bad stuff and good stuff and yeah. to just put the pictures of the good stuff so i try to take pictures of all the bad stuff that happened to me to make people feel better it's very freeing to have low standards like leah's going to the bathroom again <laughs> it's very freeing to have low standards that's kind of that's going to go on my tombstone actually thank you caroline wow uh, you're welcome <laughs> uh we are we are very pleased uh to have caroline with us caroline haskins is a uh, reporter for 
Motherboard and Vice, a great site. In fact, I want to talk about Palantir when we come back because you just did a great piece on uh, this software, this Palantir software. It's really kind of scary. Also, Mike Elgin, off the road and in our studios. Great to have you, Elgin.com. And, of course, you could always subscribe to Mike's nice book. Although there's a lot of FOMO for me. Yes. Of you in Barcelona, drinking wine, eating cheese. If you want to see an example of this FOMO we've been talking about, go to my nice book. (laughs) (sighs) What a life he's had. Cheese is beautiful, though, isn't it? There's nothing like cheese. Yeah. <laughs> There's a That's definitely the things that baby boomers say, right? Yes, exactly. It's in that. It's in that. There's nothing like cheese. <laughs> I'm not going to say you're wrong. No, I know I'm not wrong. I know, I know. I'm the I'm the poster child. Our show today brought to you by Worldwide Technologies (WWT). They began with their Advanced Technology Center ten years ago. The lab contains more than half a billion dollars in equipment from hundreds of OEMs. Everything you might want to use in your business, Cisco, NetApp, VMware, emerging disruptors too, maybe things you you just recently heard about and you're curious about like Tanium and Equinix and Expanse, they're all in there. And because when you're running an enterprise, nothing exists in a vacuum, they test it all you know, in a lab that gets you an example of how they're going to interact, how they're going to work together, WWT, Worldwide Technology, is your trusted partner. Been with you over the years. Many of their customers have been with them for more than a decade because they know WWT is where they can go to get the answers they need to make sure their business runs right. And this Advanced Technology Center is something else. It's amazing. An incubator for IT innovation. And you can use it. This is the best part. They've got hundreds of on-demand integrated solution labs that you can use representing the newest advances in things like flash storage and software-defined networking, network automation, endpoint security architectures. Before you try a product, before you install a product, you can learn about it. Of course, WWT's own engineers are using it all the time to spin up proof-of-concepts, pilots. Using the sandbox, customers can confidently see and choose the right solutions, but you can use it too. Lab as a service, they call it. It's a dedicated lab space within the Advanced Technology Center that customers can use to perform programmatic testing using that incredible half-billion-dollar technology ecosystem WWT's already built. And there's more coming in all the time. And it's completely virtual. You don't have to go to St. Louis. You could take advantage of the ATC's unique benefits anywhere in the world, any time of the day or night, 24-7. Later this summer... WWT is going to launch a new digital platform that gives you hands-on access to more than 200 lab environments. This is a big deal. If you're looking at enterprise purchases, if you're looking at setting up networks, if you're in IT, if you just want to understand how stuff works, learn more about WWT, the ATC. Sign up for pre-launch access to their new on-demand lab platform at WWT.com slash twit. WWT.com slash twit. WWT simplifies the complex Delivering business and technology outcomes around the world, worldwide technology. We thank him so much for supporting Twit, www.t.com slash Twit. We thank you for supporting Twit by visiting that address, www.t.com slash Twit. Well, we kind of did the Facebook walk, the Instagram walk. Um, Prime day tomorrow. This is the eve of Prime Day. Are you, is everybody excited? <laughs> yeah? Oof. Woof. Loaded question. <laughs> okay. 
first of all, not everything in Prime Day is a deal, right? Right. The, uh... Wirecutter does a great job. The New York Times uh, Wirecutter. They do a great job of looking at Prime Day deals and comparing them to other prices to see if they are deals. And oh, by the way, here's here's the best Prime Day deals for 2019. Notice they're not all on Amazon. In fact, Walmart is having their own version of Prime Day. And they're, they're doing it, I think, for th- three or four days. Target's doing it. Even Nordstrom later this week will be having their version of Prime Day. I think rapidly the middle of uh, the year is going to become the week for, for you know, like Christmas. In, they used to call it Christmas in July. Yeah, yeah. eBay as well. eBay too. Wired Magazine called uh, Amazon Prime Day a bacchanal of modestly discounted ephemera. Modestly discounted <laughs> crap that you wouldn't ever buy. I like what eBay's doing because eBay is, uh, they're calling it crash deals. In case Amazon crashes, because I guess what did Amazon crash last year during Prime yeah. Day? <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I I don't know what to say about this except I'm staying home tomorrow. Yeah. No, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to. I, I'm coming to work. You guys have much better bandwidth there. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. We have a lot of bandwidth. Do you uh, do you buy stuff, Caroline, on uh, Prime Day? Do you go crazy? Is that where you get your battleship? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've not participated in Prime Day. I think mainly because, I mean, this year, last year, definitely. Uh, I mean, there have been different types of demonstrations at warehouses, um, and people. Oh yeah, Minnesota's shutting it down, there. shutting down the warehouse yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, like that's good. I mean, you got to shut them all down if you're going to shut it down. They just route around you, it's like the internet. <laughs> oh, Minnesota's down. Let's just use it. Let's get it from Nebraska. I don't. Here's a really interesting thing that happened to me regarding Amazon. Very bizarre. Last year, November, December, something like that, I went to log in and it said, your account has been terminated. And I was like, okay, that's terrible. So I've been calling and calling a couple, three, four times a month trying to get my Amazon account back. And the reason I want it back is because I'm an author. You don't have an Amazon account? Correct. How do you live? I I, I do, but I don't. So... So I have a, uh, I'm an author, so I have a book going that's being sold. I get checks from them. I, uh, and I've done some Amazon associate stuff. I get checks from that. But they couldn't figure it out. I kept calling Amazon. They're like, we have no idea. We can't figure it out. You're at, you're, and then we finally figured it out. They had a, a high-level person look into it. I was one of the first, like you were, uh, Audible oh, subscribers. And your Audible account. I, I subscribed in 2008. I don't know what it was. Yeah, I subscribed in 2000. Something like that. Yeah. And so I recently canceled it because my wife had one. Oh, it was tied to your Amazon account. Yes, and they couldn't figure it out. But it's basically they just terminated my account. So they're still trying to activate it. Can you get it back? They don't know. Is there any reason why you care? Why don't you set up a new account? Because because I need access to my book. Oh, and, all your and, affiliate fees. And well, all that, yeah, there's all kinds of data in there that I need to... This is the, this is the new... Uh, Digital dilemma. Yeah. What do you do if you're, I mean, it's bad enough when, if people lose their Google accounts, but if you lose your Amazon account, do you really exist? Not really, Leo. <laughs> I'm, I'm shut out of Prime Day, I mean, for starters. I mean, oh my God, the horror. <laughs> I have to pay full price on everything. So are you, so that's interesting that you brought that up, Caroline, because it is true. We heard nothing but horror stories about people working at Amazon warehouses. Amazon announced, and now they're already doing it in our neck of the woods, next day delivery, which yeah. is going to make, make got to make it even worse in the warehouses. 
I had a, I had an Amazon right. driver deliver a book at nine o'clock last night. Hmm. I mean, this poor person's probably been out in the truck all day. Was it a little van? Yeah, it's one of those Amazon, prime, yeah. those new Amazon vans. The, the headset Caroline is wearing was placed in an Amazon locker by an Amazon worker at nine nine p.m. last night. Just yeah, just so she could be on the show today. Wow. See. Yeah. It's, See. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's. I feel like uh, in an ideal world, it would be nice to. They at times, it, the convenience of it is really right. I mean, hard to without. This is um, the modern dilemma. Hard. We want yeah. all our conveniences, and and we kind of know in the back of our mind that it's 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 due to the suffering of some other human. Right. I mean, in terms of the price, I mean. A lot of times, especially if you're buying things in bulk, like there have been times that I've bought like food or certain types of food or cleaning supplies in bulk because that's really the only like money efficient way to do it. But I think the important thing to keep in mind is that with Amazon, I mean, it's not just something that affects Amazon warehouses. I mean, this is something that's creating. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, going to Walmart's no better. Walmart. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much any place that's relying on on warehouses. Um, I mean, it's. But what do you do? You live on artisanal pickle pickles from Williamsburg for the rest of your life. I mean, you can't. You can try. What would Brooklyn? To, what like, would Brooklyn store? do? <laughs> you only shop local merchants that have handcrafted your goods. The in? worst part is they're going to solve the the the, uh, the the plight of their workers by replacing them with robots. And so, is that better? It's hard. It's. So I I thought oh this is a this is Amazon announced that they're going to spend they're going to retrain yeah what like is it maniacs which 100 is hundred million I can't remember what it was. it sounds like a good plan to me they're going you know, it's like seven hundred thousand or something like that they're going to retrain people nationwide for seven hundred million dollars to retrain one third of its workforce but if you do the math it's like twelve hundred bucks per person it's barely enough to send somebody to school for a week. Uh, t- they're going to retrain 100,000 workers by 2025 because they say, well, these people are going to be out of uh, out of work. And and Amazon is very Robots. totalitarian in their PR approach. If you're in the press, you know this, that they're very difficult to work with and they are masters at spinning stories in their favor. And, you know, they talk about retraining and then they throw out some examples to get your mind thinking about advanced degrees and like doing all this kind of stuff. But really, they're going to be rep- – retraining people, factory workers to be drivers and they're going to be, you know, yeah, cause so how of- many of those people, I don't know, but how many of those people can become coders and how many coders do exactly. we need? Exactly. Um, it's a sleight of hand. They're going to be doing a lot of training like every other company, every company. Does okay. Training. Uh, the $7,000 a worker, which actually is decent. It's a thousand twelve, $1,200 a year for five years. So that's why it's Bloomberg had an interesting analysis of it. They said breaking down the numbers, They'll spend seven hundred million, a hundred thousand employees by twenty twenty five, one thousand seventy seven dollars a person annually, according to an estimate from the Association for Talent Development, a trade group. The average organization spends already twelve hundred ninety six dollars per employee annually on training. So, in effect, Amazon's committing to spending less. And on its face, I don't believe that that's an apples to apples comparison. They say this is how much Apple that Amazon's going to spend. How much of that is on? Leasing buildings and, right. and, 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 and getting projectors, you know, stuff so like that. So you think it's just a PR move and it's not a genuine Absolutely. effort to retrain? Well, no, I think, I mean, I think they're doing every company, every enterprise has to train. They have to do training. All right. 
And I think they're trying to get a lot of credit for something that is uh, it possible anyway. for Amazon to treat its workforce humanely? Absolutely. They make enough money they could do that, right? Well, the prices would go up. I mean, this is why things are cheap on Amazon. You, you, they're squeezing Same with Walmart, every, right? They're squeezing everything. Yeah. So it's possible. Right. I mean, a $15 minimum wage, I mean, for most people still isn't a livable wage. And I think in terms of retraining, the details are really important here. I mean, is this something that's going to be happening in addition to slash outside of work hours? I mean, for people who might have to work like more than one job or for people who have a family, I mean, that might not be feasible. And for what, to stay within the same company? Um, are they actually going to be making more money in their retrained positions or are the conditions going to be comparable? I don't know. I mean, it seems like at this stage, like those kinds of details are unclear. I feel bad because this show used to be all about how great technology is and it's making our lives better and you're going to have robots and the cars <laughs> are going to drive themselves and pretty soon you won't have to wear glasses anymore. And now it's all about dystopia. Is it is that what happened, or is it just me? I, I don't think. Well, I don't think. <laughs> maybe, it's just, maybe it's just me. I, I don't think the story about Amazon's training workers is that much of a technology story. It's it's a technology company, and there's some that's partly what's happened. It, is basically this is a, a a type of capitalism. It's a business story. Yeah, it's yeah. a business story, and and um, you know. They, well, it, let's do a technology story. Okay. Amazon is building a robot, <laughs> but not for the warehouse. It's a home robot. With Amazon's Echo built so in. When I heard about this, I thought it was going to be this little tiny robot that goes, but it's waist high. It's like the size of a toddler. That's so you could put your beer on its head. Yeah, exactly. That, I, that, <laughs> That's a bad I, joke. I've been to, I'm sorry. I said no, I, I've been to places, I've been to cocktail parties in, in Sonoma where they have they, robots. They bring you your tray. tray of hors d'oeuvres. They, they, well, actually, one of the things that they had, this was at the, at the Future of Food conference in, in Sonoma. They had robots with a tray on top. And they were carrying little desserts that were pastry versions of robots with trays on top. <laughs> that's a little, and they, and they had inception. little desserts on top of those. Dessert inception. It was amazing. Were the desserts on top of the robot desserts? It just, it was desserts all the way up. <laughs> it was amazing. The robot is called Vesta. And uh, they say we can't yet mass produce Vesta. Um, they had hoped to re reveal it this year, but it's just not ready. Now, this isn't, we had an advertiser, uh, Bosch, who had a robot called uh, Kuro. Remember Kuro? It was a little robot that would wander around. It was kind of like an Amazon Alexa on wheels. They canceled that project. Um, I wonder if, I don't think it's hard to make. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to find a market. Yeah. Does anybody really want a little robot, Amazon Echo, that wanders around? Yes. I mean, it's, it's like, it sounds cute, but I feel like I'm struggling. I'm struggling to understand this here. So let's say you have an apartment like mine that isn't that big. I mean, this is a matter of walking literally three steps to wherever yeah. like the yeah. echo is. Or let's say you have an actually big house. Like, is it going to go up the stairs? Probably not. Right. <laughs> like, I'm it just, can't. Right. Right. I don't know. It just seems why. I mean, I think the idea of having an echo on a Roomba, I mean, that's cute, I guess. I think Jeff Roombas Bezos Instagrammed cute. his kids had taped an echo to a Roomba. Mm -hmm. He Instagrammed yeah, that a year ago. I think he's blaming the kids. Yeah, I, think I won't he speak about that. Jeff, but I think that's, I think his kids are genius for doing that. Everything yeah. should just, every product should just be placed on top of a Roomba and it would instantly make it better. I think um, all animals, especially house cats, should be placed on top of a Roomba. I mean, the, the reality is that 
damn it, we ba- we boomers were promised robots in a home, right? And, uh, and we never got them. So I, anybody who's working on that, I think it's great. The problem is that Amazon is a is a privacy nightmare in your home. But if you ignore that part of it, it's like I'm glad that a company – because look what Amazon did with the, with the virtual assistant appliances or what we now call smart speakers, right? They, nobody believed in that stuff when they came out with the Echo. That's was, true. People said the same things about the Echo that we're saying now about absolutely. this robot. People are like, oh, you don't need oh, it. Who blah, wants blah, blah. that? That's and silly. It, it's really changing the, tech, the consumer technology world uh, in a major way. So I would love to see uh, you know, virtual assistant robot type things. I just would prefer they didn't come from Amazon. So I mentioned I like ahead, no matter go. what, I mean, you're going to be having like the types of security issues. I mean, mm-hmm. the same sorts of issues with like people being creeped out about humans transcribing and having access to voice recordings. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a shared problem with Amazon. I mean, it seems like whoever is making these speakers. I mean, if you're having a device that's listening to you in your home and has access to literally everything that's going on, I mean, that's going to be that's going to be a security concern. That's going to be a privacy concern, no matter which company is behind it. I mean, with companies like Google and Amazon, I mean, it's even more of a concern considering like the large amount of data they already have about you and your customer profile. But yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's strictly an Amazon problem. Just to be clear, this is a much bigger potential risk than it sounds. It's not that this thing will be on wheels and roll around listening. It will be 3D mapping your home. It will be Mm -hmm. videotaping your furniture and... It'll be finding out who else is in the house, which will be recognized through face recognition. And don't be surprised the next time you go on Amazon if it says, you know, your couch is yeah, kind of a little right shabby. Would you there. like a new Amazon's yes. choice couch? This couch will fit perfectly in a little <laughs> space, and this rug will really tie the room together. Really? You think they're going to do that? I mean, is that va- how valuable is that to Amazon? Is oh, that- infinitely valuable. I think, I think they sit there. I think Jeff Bezos sits in his basement at 3 o'clock in the morning seething because he has all this data from Amazon Echo yeah. products, but he just doesn't know what's in the other room. What's in there? Who's in there? Like, I mean, I really think that that's, and it's like, I know we'll put wheels on this thing and it'll roll around, have access to the hive where you're sleeping. It'll go in the bathroom and go through your medicine cabinet. I mean, who knows? Um, but it's lots and lots of data that they, I mean, these Amazon sells everything. Yeah. They sell everything and they want to see what you got. This is, I think this is one of the reasons for this, uh, this version of the echo that takes pictures of your outfit. The whole point is to see what's that, in your closet. Yeah. yeah, see what's in your closet. It didn't like any of my outfits. <laughs> <laughs> None of them. You Zero. said, "Echo, don't look." <laughs> Sorry. If you don't like it. Uh, but I, anyway, I they sent just, it to Stacy. Stacy Higginbotham has my Echo look. I'm sure it likes her outfits much better. Um, well, uh, this week in law, I'm, I'm blanking. Denise Howell. Denise Howell is super into it. Like she, she posts. Well, she her, has. She has a great look, and she she's very put together. Yeah, and she's creating FOMO on Instagram every day with this thing. <laughs> Another so, reason I'm glad I'm not. So I have a new I've been a new kick I've been thinking about because we we talk a lot. There's a lot of energy spent uh, about artificial intelligence. You know, I think Elon Musk and others have said, "Oh no, you know, it's the Terminators are coming." And this whole notion that AI, the fear of AI is that it's going to somehow at some point gain consciousness and it's going to think. Uh, we don't need the humans. It's going to wipe mm-hmm. us out or it's going to turn us into batteries as it did in the Matrix or something like that. <laughs> and I've I've read a couple of people, most recently Yuval Noah Harari in his 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, who said no one has ever demonstrated that if you 
get better at AI, that at some point you'll leap this gap into consciousness. Yeah. They, we don't know where consciousness comes right. from. There's no evidence that you feed a machine a lot of information, you know, and it becomes a great chess player. And then suddenly it goes, I, I think I'm going to eat Gary Kasparov for lunch. It doesn't jump to that consciousness right. thing. We don't know where consciousness comes from. Maybe someday we'll be able to. So I'm going to submit this. This is my new thing, that consciousness is not the threat of AI. The threat of AI is the humans who use AI. Now, you've been talking about this a little yeah. bit uh, on Motherboard. There was a piece in Slate this morning that creeped me out. It turns out license plate reading software has gotten so cheap, and it will work with $100 cameras, that it's being installed everywhere. License plate readers, they give an example of a housing complex where people are using it to make sure that you know, you're not abusing your rental agreement that you, you know, if it's, they are everywhere. It's about a hundred dollars for the software on a hundred dollar camera cities. We, the city I live in Petaluma, I noticed was putting up cameras on every traffic light, every street light. Yeah. And I realized they're not valuable. If you have to have somebody sitting and watching them, if you've got 400 cameras in a town of 50,000 people, what do you just walk, got you know eight hundred officers looking at them? No, you put license plate reading software on it, yeah. and then if you want to know where Leo was last night, you know, yeah, exactly. And this is an example uh, to me. A Palantir is another one, and I'm really interested that you, Caroline, have been able to break through because Palantir has been almost a legendarily secret company in Silicon Valley. Yeah, funded by Peter Thiel. Uh, Alex Carp is its secretive CEO, and we knew it was some sort of. Well, what is it? <laughs> we don't. I don't know what we right. knew. Yeah, I guess the best way to describe it is that it's an aggregator. It takes data from like all different types of sources, and it organizes it and is able to find connections in ways that, like, if you're just a regular human analyst you might not be able to do it. Or if you're just a person with access to five different databases and you're looking to use something from there, I mean, that's not actionable, just having all this unstructured data. So that's Palantir's role. Um, it organizes it and it's able to make charts and sort through very sensitive data very easily, as easy as making a search. This is what's worrying me about yeah. AI. It's not that it's going to become conscious and want to get rid of the humans. It's that there are humans who will be using this you wrote that 300 California cities, northern California cities, and I wouldn't be surprised if Petaluma is one of them, are using Palantir. Why did Petaluma put up all those cameras to gather data? And what are they going to do with the data? Uh, I think it, it the goes, noteworthy thing yeah. here. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah. Um, the noteworthy thing here is that I started this whole thing by sending public information requests to individual cities, and almost all of them came back empty. The only one that came back with information was through the the NCRIC, the Northern California Regional Intelligence Center. So even if you're a citizen living in one of these cities and you want to find out about it, there's really no way for you to know. I mean, only by filing a public record request to this regional center um, do you realize, like, because here's the thing, like police officers can request this type of data from the NCRIC, um, but there's no paper trail for those individual cities. And there's really no transparency for the citizens that are actually living there. So um, this is run helpful. through the Department of Homeland Security. Do they say it's to cut down on terrorism? Right. So on their website, they claim that they 
well, they most of their efforts are focused on major drug operations and terrorism operations. Um, but at the same time, there's they will pretty much investigate anything that a local police department requests help with. And this could be, I mean, literally any type of crime. It could be it could be a robbery. It could be a domestic assault. It could be really any type of investigation that a local police department is operating. So this isn't just a uh, let's catch people trying to commit like a major, major act of terrorism. This is, you know, local operations. Um, and this is, you know. They have a massive amount of data on the people that are living in those areas. And on the one hand, I would say, oh, that's good. We're going to be a safer city in Petaluma. By the way, our county is one of the participating, 14 participating Northern California counties in uh, NC. Yep. RIC. There it well, is. it's going to be safer. It's going to be safer here. I think, I don't know. I think that this is, more, it sort of reminds me about, the arguments that people make with respect to privacy, like, oh, I have nothing to hide, so I shouldn't have any reason yeah. to worry about yeah. this, you no, know? I don't buy I that mean, one. Yeah. I mean, if you have nothing to hide, leave the bathroom anyone. door open. Uh, you know. <laughs> I've tried that argument. People don't like that. <laughs> um, there's reason. It's not that you have something to hide. It's not that you're a criminal. It's just that you des- we deserve to live the, privately. The risk here is the slippery slope. You mentioned that, you know, why are they installing these cameras in Petaluma? And it doesn't matter why. Once they have the cameras, they can later decide, oh, hey, we have all these cameras. Why don't we do X, Y, Z? So it's really the infrastructure is is just another step I in a direction. I feel like we're sliding down this yes. slope. Well, here's another example. I just wrote a piece for Fast Company about emotion technology in cars, where cars will be able to read your emotions, understand what your mindset is, understand what's happening in the car. This is part of the, you know, self-driving cars are like supercomputers on wheels with all these sensors pointing outward. What we're not talking enough about is the sensors pointing inward at the drivers and everybody else. But what's interesting is that Fictiva is in the lead with this technology of being able to read emotions of drivers. And they're not doing it by installing cameras in cars. They're using the cameras already installed in cars. Oh. And they're just tapping into that feed. It's, it's like, an, it's like a, uh, you know, after the fact kind of a, a, an idea where it's like, well, you know, these high-end cars have cameras. Why don't we just read people's emotions with them? And so this is the this is what. Why do they want the emotions? I mean, I can understand for self self driving vehicles, it's important to know what that other driver is going to do. That doesn't bother me. Well, for there's so the, the main, humans are the big problem with self driving yes. vehicles. Well, the, the biggest the biggest thing is this is going to go online before they're fully self driving. But but mo- most urgently, the, uh, Europe has has uh, uh, enacted legislation saying that by 2021, all cars sold in Europe will have to have uh, basic reading function they'll be able to they have to tell whether the driver's falling asleep whether the driver's drunk this is you know this is a cadillac just put that in their cts for their uh, autopilot feature yes because as you know with same with tesla you got to keep your hand on the wheel uh and you have to keep your eyes on the road it used to be that it was enough to have your hand on the wheel but cadillac actually has a camera that sees where you're looking yeah so that if you look down or away from the road it while the autopilot's on it can it actually vibrates your seat and then right. eventually disengages it. I had to trick it. I had to cover my eyes, but I was too scared. While to actually, driving? Well, that was the thing. I was too scared to actually do that. So I did like this. And, and you know, I had my peered through my fingers. 
and it did. It what really if you wore sunglasses? Yeah, but it, but well, exactly. I mean, it does. It's looking at you driving. Well, the best thing, and if they were able to get that, and I guess with OnStar, they probably are getting that. But information. I, I love that technology because you can be able to look at a store and say, "Is that open?" And they, they'll they'll know what you're looking at, and you, it'll say, "Oh, the so and so Starbucks is not open right so, now." So, Caroline, you filed a, a public records request and got the Palantir user <laughs> manual for cops. Right. So wow. Yeah, this was a specific user manual that seemed to be designed for cops that were operating in like the West uh, North California area. Um, And full disclosure, the manual was almost unreadable. It took me several hours to be able to parse all of this through. Because of jargon? Um, because of jargon, because it was just poorly organized, it was poorly worded. Oh, that's encouraging. Um, they did not define any of the terms. They just sort of said that the way it was organized was here's how you make a search. Um, and then they sort of introduced different charting functions. Um, By the way, this is think- confidential and proprietary, not for distribution. So please close right. your eyes. Another thing boomers <laughs> say, in my day, we used to go through dumpsters to find that kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Well. So searching for records in Palantir, start, start in the graph application. This is the worst. This manual, you're right, Caroline. This is yeah, horrible. It is, it is like unreadable. <laughs> is, Click the gear icon. Extremely, oh yeah. my God. Right. I think it's, the best way to describe it is in terms of what you can do and what information that you're starting with. If you're starting with just a name, you can get, I mean, if they have it in their data systems, if they have it in police record management systems, if they have it through other types of private data that they obtain, things that could have access to people's uh, email addresses or bank account numbers, really sensitive information like that. I mean, this is all pulled instantly just from a simple name search. And if you know somebody's license plate and you use this example in your article... Uh, You can know where they, because of license plate readers and cameras everywhere, you can know pretty much everywhere somebody's been and when for any time period. Right. So basically you set the radius and you say you're looking for a particular license plate number that's traveled in like, I don't know, let's say a hundred mile radius or more. And then you can set a date range if you want. And since they have timestamps and they have location stamps, um, you can get all of that information. And then they also have a picture of the car and the license plate itself. So all of this information is stored just by searching a license plate number. With a name. This is, the, I mean, we've all seen this right. on TV, on NCIS right. and stuff. But really, this is even much better yeah. than anything. With a name, you can get a person's email address, phone number, current and previous addresses, bank accounts, social security numbers, business relationships, family relationships, license information, height, weight, eye color. If it's in mm-hmm. an agency's database... You can get it. So that's what Palantir is doing. Do they talk about the sources of this information? Are they getting it? Some of it, obviously, from DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles. Is it all government agencies? Is it Google and Facebook? See, the NCRIC specifically, it's a fusion center. So they would use Palantir to take the different police, like local police records. So this would be like crime, arrest, et cetera, data. And Palantir also says that they get data really vaguely from government and federal agencies. So this could be where you're getting information about like license plate data, for instance, um, where you could get information about like birthday, whether you're married, whether you have a business logged in your name, that kind of thing. So some of it's public records. Yeah. Right. Some of it's public records in terms of email addresses or 
bank account records, I mean, that would be something that would have to be acquired privately in most situations. Yeah. Um, do, and I do we have any evidence that they, for instance, in their manual, they show you examples of different databases right. you can search, including right. ALPR as license, automatic license plate readers. You could do LAPD, uh, LASD, border crossing vehicle query, DMV yeah. vehicle query, national license plate reader vehicle query. And and that's just a portion of it. I imagine this would scroll down quite a way. Yeah. It's an incomplete list and it's also with only a sample search. Right. Um, a lot of the examples that they, ha that they had, um, you could see that the search query was Palantir and then they had like example profiles that were named things like John Bad Guy Smith. But still, <laughs> <laughs> like, you're Bad right. guy's my <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you can see on the right um, if you choose a particular profile, like let's say you search John Bad Guy Smith and yeah. there's 10 people in the area with that same name, you can click on one of them and you can see the specific details that distinguish him from the other John Bad Guy Smiths in the area. <laughs> and by the um, way, for you, view at home, if you, there's an area with 10 Bad Guy Smiths there, don't go to that area. Stay away. It's a yeah, bad no. guy area. Yeah. Very dangerous. I like the uh, I like the the icons they use for John. They're Bagai. riveting. <laughs> oh, I think that's the Hamburglar. I'm sorry, but I think that's the Hamburglar. <laughs> so, so Leo, you should subscribe to this because you always talk to the audience and find out who's coming. You would to know get this before they even got here who was coming. So, and did you know the email address down with the us org? Say again. That's the down with the us.org that's the email down domain with the US? oh oh yeah jbg01 at down with the us.org because as you know wow. anybody any malefactor you know is doesn't like the america that we know uh, i'm scared this now let me ask you because this came out a couple of days ago was there any reaction to your article uh palantir emailed me once and said why did you say that we didn't respond to multiple requests for comment? And I said, because you didn't. <laughs> that, that's pretty much the only thing that I've heard from Palantir. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the response, I mean, I guess what sort of surprised me is that I generally had an understanding of, I mean, sort of how Palantir worked. But in terms of, in terms of getting the visuals and in terms of seeing the actual manual, it seems like that had... Um, it seems like that had an effect on people because, I mean, it's one thing to hear that there's like this secret right. omnipotent data company that's operating in the shadows with um, with regional level governments and investigative agencies. But it's another one to see that you can just search your name and find out virtually everything about yourself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And this is accessible to any law enforcement agency in Northern California, pretty much. It's only law enforcement, though, right? Right. So it would be it would be law enforcement and any local police department within those counties would be able to tap into those resources. Do you know who decides that that's who gets to see it or if they is if anyone is in a, in a, uh, a position to make an exception to that? Like, for example, mall cops, maybe or I hope, mall, I hope Paul Bart. Mall cops are usually aren't they usually private security forces? Yeah. Right? No, no private yeah. security forces. My point right? is, it's, is this a matter of law or is this uh, company policy, policy that they decide who gets to see it and who doesn't? Right. So I think that's one important thing to keep in mind is that, you know, Palantir is the infrastructure, but exactly how it gets used, that's all in the hands of the regional intelligence agency. What's mm. what's important mm. is how the data that would not have been actionable is made actionable. 
and it's put into the hands of without just a warrant. Other- Right. Right. Well, in terms of I don't really get into the article in terms of like you do have to enter, for instance, like a case number in order to make a search in the um, the ALPR database. And in terms of the people search, at least in that version of it, it's an open field. So when you're saying uh, the reason for your search, it seems like you can just type in words and that'll be accepted. Type the reason Um, for the search in the search purpose field. This could be a case number. Or a suspect name. Right. Or I'm just right. bored. I'm sitting here. I thought I'd find out what my so ass is up to. This is kind of timely because this is what ICE is using this weekend uh, right. to track down uh, undocumented uh, immigrants and arrest them and deport them. The big yeah. issue for me, and I, and I have to say, on the one hand, you want law enforcement to have good tools protected by courts and, and, and warrants. Mm-hmm. But you also want to have some oversight in the data. And the big concern for me is this is a private company. Data sources may be corrupt, may be inaccurate. Um, face, we know face recognition is often used in these cases. We know that's often full of false positives. Um, like the NRIC does have access to facial recognition. This was in, I believe it was in Oakland. The head of the Oakland Police Department submitted uh, a letter to to the town when they, because they're going to be voting on whether or not to ban facial recognition, I think on the 16th. Um, and they said, um, based on this ban, we wouldn't be able to access the facial recognition um, through the NCRIC. So interesting. I think what remember here is that like... Interesting. This data can be combined with all different other types of databases as well. And for instance, one of the documents that I got back was how to use Palantir with Thompson Reuters Clear, which is similarly a giant database tool for police. And I think that what you were getting at before is really important to keep in mind that, you know, the way that you act on data is only as good as the data itself. And, you know, we know that the state of policing in this country isn't perfect. So, I mean, I think the important thing to keep in mind is how this could be used against marginalized populations. And what we're seeing with the ICE raids, I mean, that's pretty much a worst case scenario. I'm looking at your table of where this data comes from. And it is... of Right. So I think... It's important to note that this is through the DOJ, and this is in general how fusion centers work, um, because Palantir itself is incredibly vague about exactly. They may be getting it from additional sources, but this one includes amusement parks, cruise lines, hotels, motels, gaming industry, gaming industry, sports authority, securities firms, ISPs, email providers, daycare centers, mental health records physician patient records veterinary records it says veterinary it knows all about your dog spaniel so this is a very broad net now this is the doj but this is their guidelines right and this is a right so the, the balance here i would bet because it's a private right. business it goes beyond this yeah yeah, I think what's important to note, you know, the NCRIC, this is a DHS entity. And if you have some sort of like subpoena or you can request certain types of data from these private agencies, then this automatically can get pulled into Palantir, which organizes the data in a way that perhaps it would not have been able to use yeah. to have been used before. See, sometimes people say, oh, it's pr- public data, big deal. 
But we've seen already in many ways how uh, public data is changed by companies like Palantir. You know, every time you right. buy or sell a house, it's recorded at the county right. seat mm-hmm. and in a big book. Uh, uh, and basically, mm-hmm. you'd have to go to the county right. building to find out who lives at that address. But now, because so many data companies uh, find this valuable, they send people down to county seats. They record all this. They put it in a database. You know who else finds this valuable? Russia, when they're trying to assassinate a political dissident, or China, when they want to track. I mean, what are the chances that this is uh, not a target for hacking by oh my God, yeah. the Chinese government and the Russian government? The chances are zero. It, either they're trying and failing or they're trying and succeeding to get this access so they can track their dissidents. It's a real problem. Yeah. I think my major concern here is how this is going to be used um, by police departments against like bodies that are already at risk. Um, you know, I mean, in particular, like people of color living in these regions. Um, I mean, yeah, it's only I think, you know, like I said earlier, it's these investigations, this investigations are only as good as the data that's informing them. And, you know, for instance, with, I wrote an article a couple months ago about um, police departments with, uh, that are, that were using PredPol, which is a predictive policing software. And I mean, dozens of police departments around the country were using this and there was no disclosure at all publicly about this. And what it claims to do is take crime records, crimes that were reported or crimes that were acted upon and put it into this database and basically tell police go back um, and look at those places. So obviously the question that you have to be asking there is um, how good are those crime report records? You know, I mean, obviously not every crime gets reported and the types of, you know, crimes that are prosecuted or like investigated by police. I mean, that's going to vary place by place and there's going to be, you know, individual bias that comes into play there. Um, so there's a lot of like systemic factors that has to that plays into the way that this data is used. Um, and I think, you know, PredPol, that's another good example. And that's been combined with Palantir in places like Los Angeles. You know, PredPol and Palantir have been used simultaneously at the same time. I mean, that's a huge amount of power put in the hands of police that at times have a contentious relationship with their citizens, you know. And, you know, those underlying problems aren't being addressed. And at the same time, we have these like amplifying forces that are making it easier and easier to do these super powered investigations in a way that we've never, ever seen before. Wait till AI is applied. I mean, we were talking about the power of AI in the hands of various people, but you could, you could turn this data loose with the right kind of AI to essentially do um, AI enhanced fishing expeditions. And I, just I can you a guarantee list of all the you they're doing that right now inside Palantir. Yeah. I guarantee you that's, that's the most valuable thing. I mean, data we know, we now know data is hugely valuable and yeah. that the the difference is that by connecting data from a disparate variety of sources you can infer connections that you couldn't see before and that is to me that i don't know if this makes us safer i don't feel like it does make yeah. us safer i'm all for police having the tools they need to track down criminals yeah. But I don't think this makes us safer in the long run. Every time there's advances in technology, um, uh, political and police authorities always use those advances to change the balance of power between the citizens and themselves. And so I've always argued for 
you know, if they can track us, we should be able to track them. If they can record us, we should be able to record them. There should, if there's a video camera yeah, but in an interrogation room, you should also have a video camera. There is a disparity in power that is, yes. you can't, yeah. I mean, I but don't care if you can record but everything. It, but it's growing because of technology, and that's not right. We yeah. should always push back, and, you know, technology is good, but not when the technology, when, when one side of the equation has a monopoly. Yeah. Yes, police want to do their jobs, they want to fight crime, we want them to fight crime, we want less crime, all of that stuff, that's all true. But everything like policing has to be balanced against other considerations. That's why we have a constitution. Exactly. And that's why we have rights, and that's why we have yeah. all that stuff. But if, if it's being circumvented through technology that nobody's really paying attention to, that's yeah. a problem. Let's take a break. Uh, Mike Elgin is here, elgin.com, the nice book. See, nice pictures. Uh, of books. Of books, no. <laughs> no, of people, of Mike, his family. He's at uh, Mike Elgin on Twitter, and uh, his gastronomatic adventures continue in Barcelona this fall and September. That's right. Gastronomad.net. Take a look. It's going to be amazing. If you like delicious food and wonderful mm -hmm. wine. And yeah, if, you, if you're company. one of those people, yeah. I guess, you'd probably enjoy it. <laughs> uh, Caroline Haskins also here. Great work at Motherboard. Uh, it's amazing what a public information request can do. I think yeah. it's just a matter of time before we cut those off. That Freedom of Information Act, that is anti-American. That is a problem. People like Caroline going rooting around. My favorite thing. <laughs> Did you ever do dumpster diving for this kind of stuff? <laughs> no. No. On my computer. You're the modern, you're the modern yeah. Yeah, reporter now. You don't, we don't have to go in the dumpsters anymore. <laughs> Mike, that's what things baby boomers do. Yes. Hey, I got to show you something. Wait a minute, I'm going to take off my shirt here. i got to show you something. He's really a superhero. I am this a is superhero. a job for... I am oh, wow. chilling the fox out. I even have... <laughs> <laughs> I even have Fox Mint Mobile socks. Fox socks, ladies and gentlemen. I have been converted to Mint Mobile. Let me tell you, this is the best, the best network for people with smartphones ever. Mintmobile.com slash... Twin, if you're still using one of the big four wireless providers, take a look at your bill. It's cray cray. My Verizon phone is 90 bucks a month. And I was, you know, I thought, oh, this is a good deal. Unlimited data and texts and phone calls. But they're inflating the price because they have those big retail stores. They've got all the hidden fees. Mint Mobile provides the same exact premium network coverage you're used to at a fraction of the cost. Because they've eliminated the middleman. Everything is online. No retail locations. And I got to say, this is the modern way to do a cell phone, a smartphone. Every plan on Mint Mobile, Mint Mobile's riding on the T-Mobile network. So if you've got T-Mobile in your neck of the woods, this is a great solution. It comes with unlimited nationwide text and talk. And you stop paying for unlimited data you never use. You choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. I actually paid $300. I bought a year ahead of time because I love that. That's a great price. 12 gigabytes a month. I'm never going to use that up. But if I ever do use more, you can buy it at a very affordable price. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. I'm using, I love it too, by the way, the OnePlus 7 Pro. It's my new favorite phone. And I go around town. I do Harry Potter, Wizards Unite, lots of data. But I still am well under 12 and it's costing me 25 bucks a month. It's amazing. Use your own phone with any mobile plan. You can keep your phone number along with all your existing contacts. All you're ditching, that old wireless bill. I am such a fan of the Fox. 
I can't believe. In fact, so much so that I'm now, I have accounts with all the major carriers. I'm going to dump them all. Because why not? Mintmobile.com slash twit. Get your new wireless plan. $15 a month. It'll be shipped to your door for free. You get the SIM card. Great support, by the way. These are, you know, you're not, you're not suddenly out uh, of a, a luck with support. They're great. Mintmobile.com slash twit. As little as $15 a month. Mint is, the fox is smart. He's also pretty cool. Mintmobile.com slash twit. <laughs> Love on the SIM card. They have the fox playing a guitar at a campsite. <laughs> this is awesome. Mint Mobile. Thank you, Mint, for saving me a lot of money. I don't want to say I'm all in on the Mint, but... Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> What does it say? Mint Mobile, shop clever, join the move, Mint. I am—I have to say, I was really pleased when they said, hey, we want to get ads. Do you ever hear of us? I said, yes, I've heard of you. 25 bucks a month, 12 gigs. I've heard of you. He's actually hey. drinking mint tea. Are they goes gonna, all the way in, down. Oh, yeah, mint tea in my Mint Mobile mug. Are, uh, are Redditors going to invade Area 51 in September, by the way? <laughs> Is that going to happen? I hope so. You know, the Air the Force says event. we stand ready. I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> the last time I checked the Facebook event for the Area 51 raid, uh, I think uh, three quarters of a million people had responded oh that they were going. <laughs> oh, my God. So the theory is that there's alien technology hidden away at Area 51 that the government has never told us about it. So let's just let's just go on mass and just march in and get it. What could yeah. possibly go wrong? This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> they can't stop us all. Okay. <laughs> it is. Someone doesn't understand machine guns. Yeah, machine and guns can stop wire. you all and barbed yes. wire. And the Air Force has planes and, and missiles. And I don't know. I don't know if this is a good idea. Didn't didn't they try to levitate the Pentagon in the sixties or something like <laughs> yes. that? I mean, this is kind of like this Things is the, baby boomers do. We tried to levitate the Pentagon. Your kids are trying to air, invade Area Fifty One. Um, <laughs> there was this there was this meme that I saw, and it was just uh, it was almost like a battle plan, and they had like various types of internet niche subcultures, um, but all ones that were like a little bit a little bit off center. You know, you had like. You had furries, I think. That was one. <laughs> I'm, I'm realizing now that I'm only remembering furries on that list. No disrespect intended An to furries, but furry there were objects. like half a dozen different groups in different colors sort of combining on, on Area 51. I don't know. If I were the government, I'd be scared. They're coming. This has been the best source. Happening. There's the attack plan. This has been the best <laughs> source of memification ever. Right? Yeah, Naruto runners. There's one. <laughs> <laughs> All the people. <laughs> Battle Royale streamers. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I play Fortnite. I can be. I can do this. I can do this. We can do this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even so, by now they've moved whatever was there out, right? So even if you get in, there's not going to be anything left, right? Well, they use the alien technology to sort of beam themselves to another part of the galaxy. You know, yeah. what are the chances that a that a place that that flies experimental aircraft that people in, would see strange aircraft in the area. How odd is that? Mm. Hmm. Mm. Mm. So uh, Apple updated the MacBook Air and MacBook Pro, and, and I think this is maybe sad, 
killed the 12-inch MacBook nothing. <laughs> it was sexy. It was innovative. It was influential. It was the smallest MacBook. Harry McCracken writing a brief eulogy for the 12-inch MacBook, a machine of unfulfilled promise. A tear. A tear shed. I thought it was, you know, it was a little underpowered, and I guess the MacBook Air kind of probably, you know, scratches all the itches yep. that mm -hmm. uh, the 12-inch did. But I, you know, I liked that old MacBook. I thought that was a pretty sweet well, it reminds us back in the day when Apple was so far ahead of everyone else in laptops. <laughs> so far and now, behind, they yeah. just they just have lost the plot. They keep coming out with things that people don't really want, keyboards uh, that don't really work, and it's like back, you know, like five, six, seven, eight years ago, there was just nothing like MacBooks. Nothing. They were just perfect. They had like the MagSafe connectors. They didn't have the dumb strip. They, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But Nowadays, they... Um, and they I noticed you're using a Pixel. Yep, yep. Do you I, use a MacBook, Caroline? I do, yeah. I have an Air. I have an. I it love my Air. Yeah. And the battery life is great, and I carry it around. I'm, I, I'm not a fan of the butterfly keyboard, I have to say. Yeah, my work laptop has the butterfly keyboard, and it's awful. It's been causing me problems. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's this thing where if I press the shift key, it acts as if I'm pressing the command key. So then the next letter that I press, it'll just open some random app, <laughs> which is great. I love that. You never know what's going to happen. It's kind of like uh, MacBook roulette. Yeah. Um, there was an issue with Zoom. This is bad behavior. Zoom, which makes the, you know, uh, we've all used it. Who hasn't used it? Uh, teleconferencing software. It's kind of like Skype. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of times you would use it. Uh, maybe you'd uninstall it afterwards. Guess what? Even if you uninstalled Zoom on your Macintosh, it put a hidden web server on your computer that was continuing to run even after uninstall. And bad guys could use to turn on your camera to silently, quietly put you in a Zoom conference with them. Apple... Uh, did the right thing though they just pushed a mac update without your knowledge disabling that server zoom zoom did not respond too well to the calls to disable it so apple had to zoom released a fixed app on tuesday but apple said its actions will protect users past and present from the undocumented web server vulnerability without affecting or hindering the functionality of the zoom app itself which means zoom didn't have to do this yeah that's what's that's what's strange because that the whole the whole selling point of that was it would open up uh, the meeting faster and that right. everything would be faster but right. i mean i, I guess not <laughs> It's hard to say. Well, I did. If it's always running in the background, but I think that's a bad behavior to always have a web server running in the background even after you've uninstalled yeah. the software. Yeah. That's not nice. Anyway, it's Would've fixed. Been nice to know before I downloaded Zoom. Um, yeah. I didn't have it on my desktop, but I had it on my oh, yeah. I had it on my phone. I deleted it anyway, but Who doesn't? I mean, uh, you know, it's not my preferred uh teleconferencing yeah. software, but everybody uses no. it all the time. So, uh if yeah, you at least one. I was very excited when the Apple Watch uh, Series 4, was it? The most recent one came out with walkie-talkie. I thought yeah. my wife and I, oh, we'll just press a button and say, Lisa, are you there? And she'd press a button and say, hi, hi, can, 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 you, bring me, can you bring me a cup of coffee? 
What? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, it's not working. So um, apparently, remember the FaceTime vulnerability that allowed yeah. bad guys to get in a FaceTime conversation yeah. and yeah. watch you? Well, apparently walkie-talkie, same thing. Same thing. You could uh, listen to another customer's iPhone without consent. Apple has disabled the walkie-talkie app pending a fix. So <laughs> Apple apologized for the bug and the inconvenience of being unable to use walkie-talkie while a fix is made. All five walkie-talkie users were yes. mad as heck. And nobody to complain to. I use, yeah. Talkies were it's not working. I stopped using <laughs> walkie-talkie like four days in. It was yeah. so annoying. Yes. I thought this is going to be great. It'll be like a Nextel phone. Yeah. I mean, apps that do that have been around forever on phones and People use it for a couple of days and they're like, yeah, yeah you know what? This it's not is that annoying. cool. Make a call. It's not that cool. There is one Apple feature that is being used to do God's work in Hong Kong where the protesters are, you know, unhappy, protesting, protesting mm -hmm. about it, the extradition uh, treaty with China. Yep. The Chinese firewall, of course, is, uh, is keeping uh, them from accessing content. So they're using Apple's AirDrop allows devices to send photos and video over Bluetooth and Wi-Fi to breach China's Great Firewall to spread information to mainland Chinese visitors in the city. Who so, are confused. Yeah. <laughs> by the protests. Yeah. They're like, I don't understand. You leave AirDrop open, and you'll say, it'll say, oh, Fred's going to send you something. And you go, really? And the, it, you, get a, you get some information. Uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is to let people know about the uh, extradition bill, and it's one way around the the Great Firewall of China. One of the things that this story highlights is something that a lot of people don't realize is that Hong Kong is a huge tourist attraction for mainland Chinese tourists. Because it's fun. It's fun. It go. It's like, wow, this is very strange. Uh, and this is the whole point because all of that, there's a total blackout within mainland China of the fact that Hong Kong, that, that what is it, one quarter of the population of Hong Kong at some point has protested? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a massive, unprecedented, uh, ongoing, sustained protest, which the mainland Chinese people have no they idea. Have, they haven't heard it. They, yeah. It's they, blacked it's out. Completely blacked out. So so as they stand there gawking at these protests, they're sending details about what this means, what it all is. What's so going they can on? Go back. Here's and, a tweet from Alice Su. She arrived at TSD station and immediately her phone is bombarded with simplified Chinese flyers via airdrop explaining, you know, what's going on. Simplified Chinese is the version that mainline Chinese people use, whereas in Hong Kong they use oh, uh, I didn't know that. classical Chinese. That's oh, why I didn't know that. that's why it's oh. newsworthy that they're using simplified. It proves it's that they're aimed targeting at Chinese visitors. Exactly. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Very interesting. So this is fascinating. But you know, they're always gonna find a way around it, I hope. It's just the the, the problem is trying to get mainland Chinese people to care, care enough. Because the big controversy in China is don't rock the boat. We're we have we're on the road to prosperity. Let's right. not go for freedom. Let's right. let's go for prosperity and accept. And I don't. You know, it, it was a feudal nation fifty years ago or a hundred yeah. years ago, and, mm -hmm. and it's made amazing progress, but it, at some cost. Yeah. Here's among other posters. Did you know over the past month, Hong Kong has seen three massive rallies with as many as two million people taking to the streets. Don't wait until freedom is gone to regret its loss. Freedom isn't God given; it's fought for by the people. I think we may be using that soon here. Yes. Just remember, that, AirDrop. That should be the new. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, wow. that's uh, So that's an Apple technology that is working <laughs> quite well. Yeah. It's really clever, I thought. Isn't that great? It's a feature, but I yeah. think the Chinese Communist Party would consider it a bug. Yeah. We can't block it. Yeah. 
Apple is making TV. They've already said we don't want to be Netflix. We're going to do handcrafted artisanal block Brooklyn style shows. Throwing millions of dollars per episode. At this these is handmade one artisanal. of the shows, which is called C about. Uh, oh, it's, I don't know. It's weird. It's about a future where everybody's blind. Yeah, Jason Momoa is in it. Alfred Woodard. Um, Fifteen million dollars an episode. That doesn't, you know, in the Game of Thrones era, that doesn't seem like that much. Well, the for the, for the first many seasons of Game of Thrones, they didn't reach that level. So they, they eventually they reach fifteen million and yeah. above. So they're going in, just throwing going tons in big of money. at first. But yeah. so far, Apple yeah, has demonstrated like a, a complete lack of ability to do compelling programming. Go ahead, Caroline. Yeah, I just think that's I don't know. That's a huge gamble to make up front. I don't know. I remember. Remember that? I don't even remember the name of it. That like reality type or game show. Oh God, it was Apple awful. Was... The app. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm Planet just thinking of the about apps. how. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <sighs> yes, that's it. They had people pitching the. So the idea was to time your pitch to the investors of Shark Tank, basically. So they put them on an escalator. And their pitch had to be done when they got like, to the Like they're running for president. We'll see who first put Vaynerchuk in the uh, chat room. Pitch. It's an escalator pitch. It's the escalator pitch. Vaynerchuk was one of the judges, Gary That's Vaynerchuk, right. along with Gwyneth Paltrow and uh, Will I Am. It was terrible. Quite a brain trust there. <laughs> it was terrible. But that was made by other people. They brought in Sony executives and they're right. and they're bringing in major talent and all that stuff. They're gonna. It's a lot of money. But, but even, Apple's got money. But even know. when Apple took over Carpool Karaoke, they kind of smothered the charm it. out of it. Well, they took making... James Corden out of it. Right. What's carpool but, karaoke? But they also did super high end cameras yeah, and it was too it, good, and better production values, and the whole point of it was that it was cheesy and low budget, right? And they didn't get that. So, anyway, we'll see if if a, the planet of the blind people is going to be better. Did you see the Stranger Things AR ad? I didn't see this in the New York Times. I, I didn't see the actual ad, but so if you had so if you had Google Lens and you saw the ads for the Starcourt Mall, which is the Hawkins, Indiana Mall that Stranger Things said. By the way, they took an old 80s mall that was decrepit and empty and rebuilt it. Set. They rebuilt wow. it. It's, it was wow. so cool. I haven't seen all of it, so no spoilers. No. Mm -mm. But here's what would happen. If you had pointed your Google Lens at the print ad, it would come alive. That's pretty neat. That is one of the Stranger Things I've ever seen done with <laughs> <they are. laughs> uh, wah, wah, wah. We saw we were in uh, Hollywood uh, uh, a couple nights ago and um, wandering around on Sunset Boulevard. They do all the movie, the billboards, the movie billboards. There are amazing. Yeah, and uh, Stranger Things is just like there. There's a whole several blocks where every billboard is Stranger Things, and it's like you have to read it as you're driving down the street. But these are gigantic. And it's, it's like, like Burma shave ads. Yeah, <laughs> Caroline, don't listen. Although you could use this for your things boomers do group. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, this, this is good research here. Uh, Burmashave is like beyond boomers. Nobody, that's, that's 20s. That's generation. But you would sometimes see, even though today, sometimes, maybe, I don't know, when I was a kid, you'd drive around the countryside, these old ads for this shaving cream, mm -hmm. and, the, and the whole idea was they would be sequential Right, you'd ads. read them as you you'd drove You'd read by. them, and they would always be a poem, and they would always, it would be a joke, and would end with Burmashave. Okay, I'm sorry I even brought it up. <laughs> Go down that rat hole. Do you, do you, do you want to see uh, a Burma shave sign? Where are they now? I don't know. Here it is. If you so you'd go by and the first sign says "If you," then don't know whose signs these are. You can't have 
driven very far. Permashave. Genius marketing. Genius. Cute. Permashave was out of business by 1966. Yes. <laughs> Coincidence? I think so. My grandparents had a whole book of them. <laughs> One of my one of my new hobbies is uh, taking pictures of ghost signs, which I see everywhere. In What's Europe. a ghost sign? It's when when they had a sign on a building and they oh, just yeah, forgotten yeah. about it, and it's still there. We have some in Petaluma. We there's do. A oh, there's yeah. there's a really cool one we saw driving in. What was it? It was like uh, the, the the a chicken. It was an egg hatchery or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. There's a lot of old That's hatcheries cool right one. here. That's this a really used cool. to be uh, there used to be a lot of chicken farms. But out. there's there's one that uh, in France where it's like it, they're actually advertising telegraph services. <laughs> wow. It's so cool. That's kind of a neat uh, and, and in photographic hobby. Well, here's another thing you realize. We go to a lot of wine countries, and everything used to be called champagne. So you go to the Cava country in Barcelona, and it says champagne. Because they, used they to can't call, say it anymore because it's a and they registered came, trademark. And Prosecco and all that stuff. Everything used to be champagne. You yeah. see champagne it's ads not, in all these no, places where they don't yeah. make champagne Champagne anymore. region said you can't do that. So Amazon's making the, remaking the Lord of Rings. They spent a billion dollars for the rights. For the rights. And they are also making a game. And which they say gonna, is not related, which I'm confused Please, by. come on. It's an MMO, multiplayer, massively multiplayer online game. Um, so this is good. They're going to merchandise the hell out of this, right? There was a Lord of the Rings online. I didn't know this uh, in does, the mid-2000s. Does anybody care about Lord of the Rings anymore? Is that a thing? Anyone? That's yes. what I'm wondering. Yes. Okay, yes. we got I some- mean. I don't no. know. I think people like to read the books. I, mean, I, haven't read the I was books, over it halfway through the second over. one. Harry Potter's even over. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of sad. I think after like, like eventually at some point down the post American, like after the books come out and you just merchandise everything and like add that's new stuff happens. to the canon, yeah. people get exhausted. It's too yeah. much. I think that's what happened with Harry Potter. I have Potter. to see that stupid kid with the lightning on his forehead one more time. <laughs> I was in the bookstore last night and there's a whole table of Harry Potter games and they all have Harry Potter yeah. on the front. Yeah. It's vexing. It's vexing. <laughs> Cuphead, you ever play Cuphead? Yep. Great game, right? Cuphead? No? It's uh, probably the hardest game ever. Uh, it, it's kind of an old 20s cartoon style, Max Fleischer yeah. cartoon style. Um, they're making a Netflix TV show out of Cuphead. The Cuphead show is in production it will channel the game's homage to Fleischer era animation. It's very violent. Very violent. Yeah. As cartoons used to be. Yeah. But I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. Lots more to talk about. Caroline Haskins is here for Motherboard. Oh, love the Motherboard. I just want to say, love the Motherboard. Could you do a Freedom of Information Act request of Area 51? Wow, good question. Wouldn't that be? I mean, I try. be simpler than invading <laughs> it. Yeah, and easier. And we, and if it's you get something that's redacted, 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 yeah. that's going to be that's something. That's an article. Yeah, yeah. She's excited about it. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> you, you, Mike Elgin's also here. Elgin.com. If you missed anything this week, we had a fun week on Twit. Here's a little sample of some of the things. On Twit. Unexpected announcement this week. Uh, Creative celebrates 30 years of Sound Blaster with new AE9 and AE7 sound cards. Like, you know, the Nintendo consoles have enjoyed a renaissance with the, the NES Mini and the SNES Mini. And they'll capitalize on this trend by serving a market of 10 to 15 people globally with reimagined Game Blaster cards in vintage packaging. Creative, if you're watching, uh-huh. would buy one. <laughs> 
iOS today. So the new uh, iOS 13 <laughs> came out yesterday. If you're in the public beta, we all downloaded the public beta. We should demonstrate this. But I don't know if we can really do it properly. Now look at me. Look at the camera. Now look at me. You know, we got there. I feel like I ran a marathon today. I'm so proud. All about Android. You remember a couple of weeks ago where I brought on my Motorola Zoom and I couldn't power it on because oh, no. of the power supply? You, you found it? I got the power supply. I had it shipped to me. Play music. Oh, you man. remember? Look at, look at that. Look at the oh, upper left-hand menu. Oh. Triangulation. Bitcoin is based off this uh, wonderful, horrible idea. Uh, I'm not that interested in what is the price of Bitcoin, right? Yeah. I'm interested in the technology. Bitcoin's whole point is that it's decentralized, but it's not as decentralized as you'd really like it to be. Twit. Technology isn't always pretty, but we are. <laughs> <laughs> that was a triangulation with Bram Cohen, the guy who invented BitTorrent. Yeah. And maybe he's mad that Bitcoin took his bit. Yeah. I Just, just a bit. Here's a quote. This was a tweet from Theophyte. The question was, explain Bitcoin to grandpa. <laughs> and the explanation was, imagine if keeping your car idling 24-7 produced solved Sodoku puzzles you could trade for heroin. <laughs> That's Bitcoin. I Good, like that. right? I finally understand it. That makes sense now. I understand it. Our show today brought to you by Wasabi. Not that green, hot, green stuff next to your sushi, but it is hot. It's hot cloud storage from two of my favorite people in the world. David Friend, the founder of Carbonite, his CTO, Jeff Flowers. It was actually, I think, Jeff who created a, a patented technology for writing to hard drives sequentially, not in blocks. That's how every other hard drive works. But by writing sequentially... They were able to get improved speed, improved reliability. That's how Carbonite was founded. They've gone on to found this new Wasabi cloud storage, and it's incredible. They are able to, using this revolutionary process, give you enterprise-grade cl cloud storage that's one-fifth the cost of Amazon S3 and six times faster. One-fifth the cost, six times faster. They never have hidden fees for egress or API they have a great API because it's Amazon S3's API. So they're completely compatible that you know already know how to use it. 11 nines of durability. They do integrity checking on your data. And this is so great in this day and age of ransomware. They do immutable data. So you can say this data may not be changed, not by ransomware, not by a fumble-fingered employee, not by me, not by anybody. Immutable data is the secret to keeping your data safe. HIPAA compliant, FINRA compliant, CJIS compliant. We're, everybody's moving to the cloud. Gartner Group says by 2025, 80% of businesses will have shut down their data center. 10% today are in the cloud. It's going to be 80% in five years. Zettabytes. Well, let me tell you, I know if you're, you know, and I'm a lot of businesses thinking about this right now, maybe you're charged with looking into this. You're going to look at Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. I know you are. Can I add a fourth name to the list? Take a look at Wasabi. One-fifth the cost, six times faster. Immutable storage. This is an amazing company with a revolutionary solution. And, and, and because they are 11 nines of durability, you just don't have to worry. Your data is actually more secure, safer than it probably be on-premises. So, and with the Wasabi Ball, which I love that name, the wasabi ball is not a green ball of hot stuff. It is actually a giant 
drive array that they send to you. You put your data on it. You move it up to the cloud instantly like that. Look, we've got unlimited storage for you for a month, so you can really bang on this. If you go to wasabi.com, W-A-S-A-B-I, click the free trial link, enter the code TWIT. Join the movement. Migrate your data to the cloud with confidence. Wasabi.com. Don't forget that offer code TWIT. Thank you, Wasabi. Thank you, David and Jeff, for supporting us. They've been supporting us for a long time. They're really TWIT fans. And I thank you, uh, TWIT fans, for supporting us by using the offer code TWIT at wasabi.com. Uh, watch out, by the way. We were mentioning Prime Day. I just want a little public service announcement. There are a number of phishing scams around Prime Day. So, the, you know, it happens at tax time. The fishers are just terrible. Uh, Prime Day uh, phishing scams that look like emails from Amazon. Just be careful what you click on. Is that part of your things boomers do group? Click on phishing scams. I think that, I think to be fair, I think that, I don't know, Reply All did a good thing about this also. <laughs> like, <they're, laughs> like a lot of people fall victim to phishing scams. Yeah. Like, even if you're, even if you consider yourself like a generally competent person or a skeptical it's person. It's too easy. Who, yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah, it's very it's, easy. It's really I feel like I'm just skeptical easy. of everything in my inbox now. Yeah. Like I got a I got a email like asking to do like a survey for work and I was like emailing all my colleagues like is this real? Am I being fished? Right. That's what you have mm -hmm. to do now, right? Yeah. yeah. Cuz if it's from work, that's almost a that's guaranteed to be a scam. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or if it's from yourself or you you know a relative, it's not from strangers. Were you a were you a Friends fan, Caroline? Were you a fan of the Friends TV show? You're too young for that, probably. Friends, I've I've watched Friends. Yeah. It's like it's fine. It's like I a didn't nice realize it was the number one sure. streaming show on Netflix. That and The Office are huh, huge. I didn't know that. It's leaving. Yeah. Hmm. It's moving off of Netflix. It's going to something new called HBO Max. Oh boy! Just another thing you're going to want to pay for. Thank you, AT and T. HBO Max will be uh, over-the-top streaming service. Uh, you know, HBO already has HBO Go, right? right and HBO right. Now. That's going to be shutting down. That is? Yes, when, when HBO Max launches, HBO Now will shut down. AT&T is going to ruin HBO. I remember when the AT&T executive came into HBO and said, we want to be more like Netflix. Hmm. I thought, oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you'll be able to get Friends on HBO Max as well as Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Woo-hoo. This is hot programming. Pretty Little Liars, woohoo! And I guess all the HBO shows, if they're gonna, if they're not going to have HBO Go and HBO Now, CW shows including Batman and Katie Keene will be. <laughs> this sounds like a flop. I'm sorry. Exclusive movies with Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> There's a name. <laughs> That's gonna two romantic comedies and four young adult titles with Greg Berlanti. I don't even know who that is. I'm not a young adult. What about us boomers? An Anna Kendrick-led comedy series called Love Life, an animated prequel series for Gremlins. This sounds like it's compelling. The, Very this compelling. sounds like the the worst. Uh, it's going to debut in spring 2020 with 10,000 hours of material, like Dune, the Sisterhood. Pull, Friends but... is it, right? And yeah, that's it. <laughs> Netflix tweeted the one where we have to say goodbye. We're sorry to see friends go to Warner's streaming service at the beginning of 2020. 
Thanks for the memories, gang. And then there's a little coffee cup, which I'm sure means something in friends, friends language. <laughs> we don't know what the price will be, uh, but I could tell you right now, uh, if they got Game of Thrones on there, I guess. Oh, wait a minute. It's over. Now that it's over. They should have timed that better. Yeah. So France. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. France. Etienne. France. Etienne's in our studio. He lives in France. Has decided to tax tech companies 3% on digital services if you make more than 750 million euros in global revenue and 25 million in French revenue. In other words, if you're Google, Facebook, or Amazon, you're going to pay a 3% tax, 3% of your total annual revenue. That's a ton. And and what's wrong with that? I mean, I think why, the other question is why should tech companies be tax-free? No, they shouldn't be. But they shouldn't be specially taxed either. Well, um, right? Should there be a, a, like a, a surcharge for being a successful U.S. tech company? How much, how much U.S. income tax did Amazon pay this year? You know that's a that's kind of I a think misleading they just got a big stat. Refund. They, yeah, they got they got a nice check. H and R Block gave them an advance on it. It was nice. <laughs> it was a, you know, but, but but how much was it? No, no, it's not zero. It's not zero. Everybody says Amazon paid zero, and uh, it's, it's very not. low. It's I very think... low. It's low. It's low. Okay, because they spent it's, money. It's they made. Zero, they made. They put. You know, here's the thing. The, the tax situation in France is a really touchy subject. You, you can uh, verify this. I've talked to a lot. I got a lot of friends in France. We spent a lot of time in France. Um, I've been told that the, that the, the income tax rate can be like 70%. Is that roughly, is that an exaggeration? It's high. It's ridiculously high, right? Yes, ridiculously high, but high services. Yes. High services, you well, get what you pay for. Right. And so we pay high taxes and get nothing. But 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 in that tax environment to tax these big companies 3% or something is really a tiny drop in the bucket. And I think, you know, I think uh, I personally am in favor of national governments doing more to police, to to tax, to do whatever they want with these international companies. I was listening to this uh, political podcast uh, where they were ta saying how the British Parliament called Mark Zuckerberg to testify, and he's like, eh, "No, I'm not going to do that." He said, "No." He said, and, "And so, in fact, he can't. He, he can't go to Canada. He'll be arrested." Because he said no to Canada. Fair too. enough. But I, I think. But my point is, the, the 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 podcasters were saying dumb things, namely that wow, Zuckerberg. The reason is that that Facebook is more powerful than the British government. No, no. The difference is the British government isn't using its power. They, what they what should say is that we're them? shutting off Facebook until oh, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg That's, appears before us. This is a problem, though. I think it's we're gonna fantastic. We're going to have a splinter net. We're going to have an American There's, internet, a Chinese internet, a Russian internet, and a European internet. That's a different question. Things like the right to be forgotten, that's a splinter net. But taxing or, 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 or banning a social network until their CEO comes before the government is, I think, perfectly reasonable. I, I don't mind yeah, a I tax. Like I just don't think there should be more tax because you're a successful tech company. I mean, lots of, I lots of taxes are levied for lots of reasons. Yeah, and, you know, in Europe, like the cost of gasoline is super high because they're taxing that for right. all kinds of reasons. I think it's the United States with it. trade representative said we're going to investigate and there may even be a tariff war as a result. Go ahead, uh, Caroline. What do you think? Oh, no, I think it's just that, I mean, if citizens are treated like a well of data that the company is being yeah. is using to profit, it's only fair 
to expect the company to pay back into services that will help okay. those people. That's and I think point. like the sentiment that like the sentiment that it's like anti-American in any kind of way. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, they like the solution to that is just tax the companies in the U.S. But obviously the people who are saying that it's anti-American would not be in favor of that kind of tax. But I don't know. That's just my opinion. Well, the, the big fines, like, for example, against Google for uh, for for favoring their own services in search results, all those kinds of things are also said called anti-American. I think I've <laughs> said that myself. But but it's really American companies are complaining to European authorities about other American companies. So it's like also favoring American companies for, you know, namely Microsoft, et cetera, uh, to, to, to sort of ding these giant companies that are, uh, you know, appear to be favoring their own search results. One more break. Let's, uh, I got a, I've got a obituary for a computer science pioneer you never heard of, but he's done two things that you will know. One good, one bad. Okay. That's coming up. Our show today brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you need to do... We just recently done a lot of hiring. I got to say, ZipRecruiter is the bee's knees, as my people say. It is, <laughs> it is the easiest way to hire. If you're the person in charge of hiring, you know that's a, it's a terrible job because, first of all, you're down a person or two or three or whatever, so you're working harder anyway, especially if you're a small business like ours. But also... The person you're hiring, that could make or break your company. Companies are just a bunch of people with a common purpose. A great employee, and I think we just hired some really great employees, to the moon. But somebody not so great could bring you down. ZipRecruiter is going to improve your chance of getting that magic employee. There's somebody out there that's just right for your opening. The question is, how do you reach that person? Zip Recruiter. Zip Recruiter, the first thing that happens, posts your job listing on Zip Recruiter to more than 100 job sites with one click, including social networks like Twitter and Facebook. So you're going to reach the largest number of candidates. That's great. That means that person, that perfect person, no matter where they're hiding, is going to see your job posting. But Zip Recruiter does it one more, one step better. They use powerful matching technology to scan all the resumes, to find people who have the experience to be right for you, and then invite them to apply, which means you're gonna, they're, actually, they're actually saying, hey, this is a great job. Come here. you you got to see this. And as those applications come in and all the other applications, ZipRecruiter will analyze each one, spotlight the top candidates so you don't miss a great match. All the applications, they don't go into your mail, your inbox, or your phone. They go right into the ZipRecruiter interface this matching technology is so powerful, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate on the site within the first day. That's been our experience, by the way. It's exactly within the first few hours. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter free. We've got a special address for you, ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. Show your support for the show, just as ZipRecruiter has shown its support by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. We love ZipRecruiter. It's been such a great thing for us. Z-I-P-R-E-C-R-U. I-T-E-R dot com slash twin. Zip recruiter. See, it's that French language that messes up our spelling. Zip recruiter. Um, yeah, we hired, we've hired uh, one, two, three, four new people in the last month. Some of whom you don't even know about yet, but you will hear soon. Niantic. Now, I said I don't like Harry Potter, but I can't stop playing Harry Potter Wizards United. It's the Pokemon Go replacement. Niantic 
was a spinoff of Google. Remember, they were the Google Maps guys. Their first app, you know what their first app was? Field Trip. Remember that? Yes. That Remember? was great. Turn on Mike, Mike's mic. Ah, yes. Yes, that was great. So Field Trip was the app where you'd go around and it would tell you. In fact, it was fun in Petaluma because there was only like four points of interest. <laughs> so you get this, do you know the, the, the movie <laughs> Remembering the Abbots was shot in that house? Yes, I know. You told me every time I drive by it. <laughs> American Graffiti was shot, was shot right, right, on right here alley. on this empty lot. There's four points of interest. Anyway, they're shutting it down. It's over mm. for Field Trip, which is another... That's- that's Tragic. how Google works, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They're the new Yahoo. Yeah. Uh, now there's Chatterbox. Is this... A, is this? A, uh, oh, wait a minute. That's... Uh, uh, I'm going to save Chatterbox for the end. That wasn't it. There's a new Google... What is it called? Safety pin? Oh, uh, shoelace. Shoelace. <laughs> shoelace. They're bootstrapping. Oh, I knew it was shoelace. a common household object. So what is... What does shoe leather do? Shoelace is a... So... I'm I'm especially bitter about this one, Leo. So that, let me uh, allow me to express my because you you already you went all in on Google Plus. Yes, and your heart was broken. Yes. What is shoehorn going to do? <laughs> <laughs> shoe leather is a um, shoelace is a. It's supposedly a social network organized around uh, events and other things that are geographically. Specific. So this is from Google's uh, research arm, Area yes. 120, which this, is not Area 51. Do not invade it. This great, uh, although if you do invade it, this would be a great way to organize that invasion. <laughs> right now, it's only in New York. In fact, you could use it, Caroline. Have you tried shoe leather? I haven't. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just playing into this whole baby boomer thing. Did you see? Have you seen that I'm wearing uh, mint socks? Have you seen that? Never mind. <laughs> Uh, yeah, lovely. Yeah, lovely. So, so here's what here's what my is shoe, what is shoelace? It's 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 this dumb thing that is basically supposedly a social network, but it's focused it's on location based. Location based. So it's basically it's basically it's like five percent of Google Plus. They decided to come out with this spectacularly <laughs> insignificant thing. I have to point out they did this already. Yes, they did schemer. several times. Schemer, yes, which schemer. I tried. That was the one with the mustache. This is basically schemer. That one was shut down in three years. Yeah, they just need more things to shut down, so they can't shut down things unless they launch things. So it's an invite-only testing phase on iOS and Android. If you want, though, you can uh, go to this URL, docs.google.com slash form slash de slash one F-A-I-P-Q-L-S. I'll forget it. (laughs) (laughs) And you can say, keep me in the loop about shoelace. Get it? Oh! Like that. Oh, Very nice. I'm going to put a bow on this story and move on. <laughs> Shoelace. What is with Google? They really suffer from the inability to understand how humans? people communicate. Yes, yeah. that's the humans. We don't get them. <laughs> yeah. This was a great uh uh I have to say the privacy project in the New York Times has been very interesting. Charlie Wartzel yeah. and Ashton Goo created I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. New, maybe? Uh Crea- new, I new. Think, yeah. yeah. Created uh a comparison between Google's original privacy policy in the, in the late 1990s was 600 words to their current privacy policy. For 20 years later, 4,000 words. It scrolls all the way down the page here. It is really more, it's less about Google than about how the Internet has changed and how technology has changed. Because in 1999... There wasn't any, you know, no smartphones. They weren't collecting mobile information at all. In 1999, they say, 
Google may share information about users with advertisers, business partners, sponsors, and other third parties. But we only talk about our users in aggregate, not as not as individuals. That that was cut out three months later. Uh, Twenty years later, uh, it's it's quite the opposite. We will share information, <laughs> things we know about you, everything, and we will share it with everybody. And uh, it's a little longer. Location information, they didn't have that before. Your Android device type carrier name, crash reports, which apps are installed. So it isn't so much demonizing Google, I think, as just saying, pointing out how modern technology like smartphones has given them so much more information. And it's really, they're, they're, they're stapling on new things every time they get caught doing something or every time they start with or a new GDPR, type of monetization. Or GDPR, to be fair. Yeah, GDPR. You know, yeah. yeah. I think, like, the average person just figures, like, if they've been using Google for a long time, like, I don't think it registers in the average person's head just how many changes have occurred. I don't know, just between, like, 2005 and now, for example, just, like, the scope of the information that they have on you that they didn't necessarily even have before. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even think that registers in the average person's head. Well, that's why I like this. And I don't know why, but the Times marks it an opinion piece. I guess everything Mm -hmm. on the Privacy Project is an opinion piece. But I think it's a really interesting article, and it is... It is an eye-opener. I don't think people are really aware of how this has changed because nobody reads it. Right. They didn't read it when it was 600 words. They didn't read it when it's 1,000 or 4,000. I think that Amazon's privacy policies are still pretty short because they don't want to talk about it and they don't want to guarantee anything. <laughs> short isn't better. You know. No, it is not. And uh, yeah. I've, I've read their privacy policy around and cause, because I was wondering, you know, do they reserve the, for themselves the right to listen without the wake word? Do they the X, Y, Z? And they pretty much give themselves the ability to do anything. And their privacy policy doesn't say uh, anything about them. We not make having no the promises. Right. Use exactly. it uh, or don't use it. But uh, we make no promises. Yeah. So. And then as, if you thought Google Assistant or Google's home devices were any less intrusive, well, you'd probably you'd be missed, wrong. You'd be wrong. Google <laughs> workers listen to your queries. But, you know, this is part. I mean, all these businesses do this. Again, I think this is like, you, as you said, Caroline, it's just a, a case of people don't really think about it. And so they don't pay attention. But if they thought about it, yeah, one of the things that happens with both Amazon's Echo, Google, and I bet you Cortana and Siri too, is mm-hmm. they need humans to listen to it to see if the computer understood right. it. And it ha- it's how they get better. Uh, VRT News, which is a Flemish public broadcaster in Belgium. We all, we all watch. We all read that. Yeah. Well, if you, well, if, it's, if you, if you speak Flemish, it's really the, the place to go. That's right. Where else are you going to read Flemish news? Uh, was able to, so apparently somebody leaked the user voice recordings from within Google to this Belgian organization. Uh, A Google subcontractor passed on more than a thousand assistant recordings. VRT said in these recordings, we could clearly hear addresses and other sensitive information. This made it easy for us to find the people involved and confront them with the audio recordings. And they, they said, yep, that's my voice. I said that. Wow. Here's my favorite factoid from the article. 153 of the 1,000 recordings, uh, the command OK Google was clearly not given. Uh-oh. So it misunderstood. Or for some reason, without people doing the wake word, they started recording. And they maintain and they retain that recording. Now remember, they only got a thousand recordings. More than fifteen percent of them didn't have the wake word and included bedroom conversations, conversations between parents and their children, blazing rows, 
and professional phone calls containing lots of private information. And, and really, blazing rows are the worst kind. <laughs> That's got to be a Flemish it's, phrase. It's got to be. <laughs> we, uh, Google's response uh, to Ars Technica, actually to VRT, we just learned that one of our language reviewers has violated our data security policies by leaking confidential Dutch audio data. <laughs> our security and privacy response teams have been activated Oh, God, I bet those are robots with laser eyes. And are investigating, we will take action. We're conducting a full review of our safeguards in this space to prevent misconduct like this from happening again. This is going to happen, right? That may be the really th thing. People always say, oh, I don't want an Amazon in my home because I don't want Amazon listening to me. Bigger the problem may be that it's not just Amazon. Uh, it is not just well, Amazon. Not yeah, just like remember a couple of months ago when – I think someone used uh, some GDPR clause and requested all of the data that Amazon had about themselves through their Echo device. And they sent the wrong person's information, oh, the yeah. wrong person's recordings to them. Yeah, that's what I <laughs> that's what I thought about when I read this. Oops. And it's there's going to be individual instances like this. And it's just I don't know. I mean, obviously, it raises the question, like, minute, have these minute. companies actually the ice cream trucks out front run out, get yourself a, a frozen <laughs> treat. Wow, I guess the audio is very good. <laughs> air conditioner. <laughs> I just think moving to Brooklyn is the place to be. You got an ice cream truck. Man. This is this comes down my block about five times a day. I've what? never gotten ice cream though. What? You don't go chasing it? No. That's the fun of having an ice cream truck. Some people do, I guess. It's it's stuff. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I mean, you're up to you, but the, the thought of a frozen treat got me excited. <laughs> It's a nice life. Something boomers do. It's don't that, pay no attention. We in my day we would chase that ice cream truck. Mr. Softy, Mr. Softy, stop! I I want a rocket pop. What, what was your favorite? I, I don't. You know. like drumsticks? Yeah, we didn't. You have, like we, a I didn't grow up in Brooklyn. Okay. We didn't have the ice cream trucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe, maybe this has just gone on too long. Um, <laughs> Did we cover every possible angle of the tech week? Everything going on. Twitter's going to try its hide replies feature next week in Canada. Not here. <laughs> it, it, so d d actually, this is a, I think this is kind of a significant story because we've had many conversations uh, on this show and also this week in Google about uh, my prescription for the problems that plague Twitter. And my prescription has always been let users delete yes. comments. If they come, if I tweet, do a tweet, and somebody comments on the tweet, I should be able to delete it for everyone. So this is that's what of, Google Plus did, and that's it what Google Plus did. Facebook does it too. But th this, in in this case, you're kind of halfway there. You can hide people's comments, and they go into a sort of a hidden area. It's not that great of a solution, but it's a step in the right direction. Giving the original poster control over the comments i think that's oh is that how they're going to do it because yes. i thought it was going to be they would look at oh, this is different from the one where they say if it's from a famous or political figure don't look at this right <laughs> they put a thing yeah. up are you sure this is different yeah this, this is different is, this is different oh so, so you post something like on twitter idea. you post a comment and i go in there with a nasty comment and you can just say you know what hide that it's if people want to go in and see the hidden comments they can but oh. they know that people are lazy and probably won't so it devalues the the comments that the poster wants devalued. And some of the criticism, I think, that I disagree with quite a bit, which is that, well, what if somebody's fact-checking? What if somebody's blah, blah, blah? I think that on a social network, you should be able to manage and, and, and moderate the conversation that follows of your own tweets. If people want to disagree on their own 
stream, they can. But I, I think people should I have like control this over idea. I hope comments. that this uh, works and gains traction. I hope so. Yeah, I think one of Twitter's like better features is just the where it hides the some of the bad replies at the bottom. I don't know. It's vastly improved my Twitter experience. I so. got the new Twitter and it looks very different. It's like I, they it's no longer out. It's no longer chronological or anything. It's just like I, I don't. They've really changed the feed. Well, they have an option to to flip over to recent tweets first, and then but that it only lasts a few days, and then they go back to algorithmically sorted, which is kind of to me it's kind of a dark pattern. Yeah, I don't know what it's doing. But um, I think clearly what people want is, many people want, is reverse chronological with no algorithm. And that's why I use TweetDeck, because it still does that. Yes. Right? Yep. Or if you do, like, if you pull up, like, the mobile Twitter URL, Mm -hmm. like, because it doesn't, like, I can do the whole, like, display latest tweets first on my my mobile app, but on desktop, I, like, type in the the mobile URL and do it that way. Mm. A tip. A tip. I'll give you another tip if you're using TweetDeck. I exclude retweets. And the only reason I do that is I feel like that's where you get the viral inflammation happening. Like this sudden, all these retweets. I want to see the originals. I I have a different approach to the same problem. If somebody retweets something objectionable, I stop following the person who retweeted it. Yeah. And so, then you get quality retweets. Yeah, because I, I follow like like Matthew Ingram and there's a bunch of other people who are great retweeters. Yeah, it's that's like an true. art form. I would want to so see those. I discover yeah. a lot of new Twitter users by other people's retweets. But I think I'm very the real answer is we need better moderation tools for ourselves. Yes, get, so that we can make our Twitter feeds better. Twitter wants to maintain the control over what all see. that stuff, and yeah. I think you know, give control to the people, man. That's what I. That's what I say. As a boomer. I want to mention this because he was a very important person in computer science that I thought I knew everybody and all the names in history, but I had never heard of Fernando Corbato. Had you ever heard of him? You didn't know who your father was, the father of your father computer. Father of my computer. He just passed away at the age of 93. Great eulogy, uh, obituary in the New York Times by Katie Hafner. And here's why you want to remember Fernando Corbato. Before he came along, if you wanted to use a computer, you had to print out a bunch of punch cards, a stack, carry them carefully without letting them fall, spindle, fold, or mutilate to the high priest running the computer who would then deign to run your job, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, maybe mm-hmm. next week. And if, heaven forbid, the cards had gotten mixed up or there was a bug, you'd come get them back and you have to start all over in this process again. Computing was not interactive, in other words. Corbato realized that these computers are fast enough that they could probably do something he called time sharing. He huh. invented in the early 60s something called CTSS, the Compatible Time Sharing System, which allowed multiple users in different locations to access one big expensive computer at the same time through telephone lines with teletypes. Remember that? Yeah. And without that, uh, Bill Gates wouldn't, you know, very right. famously. Bill Gates' mom and other mothers at the Lakeside School in Seattle had a cake sale to raise the money to get a timeshare teletype in a closet at the school. He and Paul Allen learned to use computers to program computers with that interactive timeshare device. And that then that all eventually led to Clippy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this guy's that's, a real pioneer. That's he, he created Clippy. Uh, the other thing, though, he had to invent, in order to make a time-sharing system work, you have multiple people on the same computer. At first, everybody was able to see everybody else's stuff. He had to create accounts and passwords. 
Hmm. So Corby also, he gets credit for inventing time sharing. He also gets credit and interact, true interactive computing for creating the password. And, and really, isn't that what cloud computing is? Isn't cloud computing yeah, just basically time sharing? time sharing, right? If you use Google Stadia, you're playing a game on a computer in the cloud. That's right. So uh, I think huge. CTSS gave rise to Multics, which was a, a operating system which gave rise to Unix. Get it? Unix is a singular version of Multics. Uh, and in fact, uh, Multics was the inspiration for Linux because Linus Torvalds didn't like Multics. Mm -hmm. He wanted to make his own version of Multics and created Linux. So and Linux is what Android, etc., is based on, and still macOS, right? Uh, macOS is based on Unix, Unix, not okay. Linux. But both, but of, both, same both thing, of them can be traced back to this back guy. to Corbato. So if next time you log in and give a password, you can thank Corby, the father of the computer and the interactive computing and the password. Um, hey, everybody, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate Caroline. You're great. You showed amazing fortitude in not chasing that ice cream truck, and I admire that. <laughs> uh, Caroline you. Haskins, you can catch her work at Motherboard at Vice. She does such good stuff. I look forward to seeing your next uh, public information request. Look at all this stuff she covers, including rogue <laughs> cyclists creating a bike lane with toilet plungers. New York City, baby. Boy, oh Great boy. Stuff. It's a good city to live in, isn't it? Yeah, you it's like nice. It? Yeah. It's never boring. Nope. Nope. Uh, and neither is Caroline. Thank you, Caroline, for being here. We appreciate it. She's on Twitter, Caroline Ha. <laughs> underscore. Ha. C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-H-A <laughs> underscore. That's what I think. I think the underscore is the ha. It, it the just stops stop. you on your track. Ha. That's a glottal stop. Ha. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody already had Haskins. I wish I, I wish I had Caroline Haskins, but no, alas, I, like, I, I just don't know. Yeah, that's good. I can't even change my Twitter handle, even if I wanted to. Apparently, or you lose the verification badge. Right, but no, you're stuck yeah. with it now. You can yeah. give yourself a clever nickname. Just change your real name. Yeah, yeah, true. Can, can you have an underscore in your legal name? Hot. First, uh, yeah, the first, uh, the first in hot. a line of hots. Very nice. Also, hot Mike, Mike Elgin, who could be. Uh, <laughs> Mike Elgin? <laughs> Mike, A-E-L-G-A-N on the Twitter, Elgin.com. Don't forget uh, gastronomad.net. And I want to give a plug to Kevin, your son, who is here today. Yes, he's a Silicon Valley entrepreneur in the education He's created space. something called Shoe Leather. No, 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 no. no. Chatterbox, which is, we've talked about it before. It is so cool to teach kids a little bit more about, see, I think one of the things parents are doing, which I think is a huge mistake, they're teaching their kids to say please and thank you to their Amazon Echo. I think that's a mistake. That's Big personifying mistake. something that is a machine. I think more important, the kid learns it's a machine, and here's what the machine does. Here's how it works. Here's what an echo is. And so you, this is a smart speaker anyone can build and program with Google Blocks. It's really, really cool. It's called Chatterbox. Now, it was on Kickstarter. You raised a bunch of money on Kickstarter. In about one week, you can't... <laughs> <laughs> kid, kids are pretty turned on by this. That kid just dabbed because he built a chatterbox. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can um, you can uh, get one, but you have to wait a little bit. It's going to Indiegogo next. They've they've used up Kickstarter. We were just talking about the privacy elements of these uh, virtual assistants yeah. in the home. This one doesn't listen till you push the button, and then no data is retained Very at nice. all. 
Just period. And, and, can and be whose done. skills is it? Is it Echo? Is it Google Assistant? Or is it your own? What is the skills? So we worked on Mycroft, which is an oh, it's Mycroft. Yeah. Yeah. Mycroft is a very cool AI. Yeah. And so we essentially created a visual skill builder. So kids, all, all the skills are actually run uh, locally on the device. Oh, yeah. so you get to program the skill. Kind of like nice. the Apple model. You keep it private and secure through just running it locally. No ads, no data collection. It isn't always listening. It's a chatterbox, and you can make your own. How many have you shipped? Have you shipped them yet? Uh, no, they're going to be shipping uh, in time for Christmas. So, What's uh, the processor? Is it an Arduino? What's in there? Uh, it's actually based on a Raspberry Pi. It's a so, Pi? Yeah. Nice. Yep. Nice. Plus right now we're actually looking at uh, using... Fours, upgrading everybody to fours, but see. Oh, yeah, those new Raspberry Pi 4s are awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you have to change your power supply. <laughs> yep, that's what I'm looking at. Chat, hello, Let's give you a nice uh, big plug. Because I think that's, in fact, I'm going to get one for the kids. I think that's really, really cool. They'll love it. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, everybody, for being here. We had a great studio audience visiting from all over the world. You guys were very patient. That's all I can ever say about our studio audiences. <laughs> they have bums of steel. Your fortitude is impressive. It is. Well, what we do is we invite them here. They sit down in the most uncomfortable chairs we can find. And then we make them stay there for two solid hours. Tim and Nina from Orlando and Rich from San Francisco. And uh, Mick and Mick was from Dublin. Etienne is from Paris. And uh, Rod and Carolyn, they're from... Um, you're going to have to pronounce it for me. Stylacum? Stylacum. in uh, the great state of Washington. And uh, Aaron and uh, Caitlin visiting. And, of course, Roberto, great to have you visiting from Brooklyn. No, Queens. Wow. Say again? Staten Island. Staten Island. He, uh, he got here on the ferry. It goes, <laughs> it's a, it's a, long it goes a long way. If you want to be in our studio audience, email tickets at twit.tv. We love having a studio audience. It makes it so much more fun. Uh, especially when they pretend to laugh at my jokes. I really appreciate that. It's always nice. If you want to watch live, you can do that too. We have a live video and audio stream available at twit.tv slash live. But if you're doing that, you know, chat, because the chat room is a big part of all of our shows. They're always there at irc.twit.tv. It's family-friendly and fun. irc.twit.tv. After the fact, everything we do is available on demand. Just go to our website, twit.tv. You can even subscribe. In fact, that's the best way to get every show we do. Subscribe that way. The minute the show's available, you'll get it automatically on your smart device. And don't be a chicken. Subscribe to the all Twitch shows feed. There is a feed for all, all the shows. All of them. I, I subscribe to it. Are you not? Okay, thank you. It's if you actually can why it. not? Then why you, not? You know, you, you you got a ton of stuff. You get it all there. That's right. That's a, sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Uh, did I do any? Did I do it? Need to do anything else? Carson Bonney, our producer, our executive producer, the man you're, in charge. You're all set. You I'm all it. set. You I'm done. I can go home. I can have lunch. All right. Thanks, everybody. I'm gonna go home and watch the last episode of Game of Thrones. Oh no, that's over. Friends, friends, watch friends. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Another twit. This is, is amazing. Doing the twit. Doing the twit.